welcome to the Director's Club. Um, here over at the club, we take a look through the director's entire body of work through a single episode. Um, something that we end up doing like two times a month. We, um, uh, we look through directors like uh, legendary films, like uh, groundbreaking debuts, and like hidden gems among their filmography. It's going to be really cool to go and like see the different kind of themes and ideas that come across when you manage to look at a director's work all in one place. So come on and join us on the uh, film journey. The journey takes us today out to Poland for a very, very interesting and unconventional director, uh, Andrzej Zielowski. And to help join me on the journey, I have two incredibly special guests. The first guest I'd like to introduce is a person who I was very fortunate to join in in discussing Adam Egoyan earlier in an earlier episode of the Records Club. Uh, he is a um, uh, runs the uh, Supporting Characters podcast over that's also a fellow member of the Now Playing Network along with the Directors Club and uh, you can also have seen him uh, recently on a podcast discussing the uh, music of Prince. May I give a really uh, warm welcome to Bill Ackerman. Thanks for having me Al. <laughs> Hey, hey! It's a it's a total pleasure. I had a I had a, I had a blast going over with um, uh, Egoyan with you, and um, and it's and it's a uh, great to, to have a fellow traveler go look through the works of Jalaski with. So, mm -hmm. very much looking forward to it. And and my other special guest is someone you may may recognize uh, from being a very very frequent uh, uh, visitor to Director's Club. Uh, it helps because he is the founder of the Director's Club. Um, I'm very happy to welcome, like, Jim Wachowski out here. Hey, welcome back, Jim. It's great to be back, Al. Um, my voice has kind of changed since I was on this uh, here podcast, but I hope your listeners don't mind. Uh, got a little bit more of a baritone. Oh, no, seriously. Um, <laughs> it's, it's great to be back. I am uh, both intimidated and uh, overwhelmed and excited to talk about this here director, uh, there have been instances where I kind of, uh, you know, where it's a little wishy-washy, or at least I, I kind of, in some cases, like with uh, Tarkovsky, I just up and bailed. I was like, I don't know if I can handle this. This is too crazy for me. Um, I, w I don't think I would have done that in this case simply because there are certain elements of this man's work that I find utterly transfixing. Uh, but at the same time, we'll get into this, of course, in terms of themes, I'm not entirely sure what each film is trying to convey mm -hmm. and say. Yeah. Uh, right. I, mean, I feel like you have to be f somewhat familiar with, uh, you know, uh, Poland's politics and the communism uprising and all things like that too. Well, it's funny, Jim, because we've, we've yeah. talked about Kislavski on this podcast before, and that's true. That's a director where the uh, knowledge of, of Poland and politics, you know, informs a lot of the early films and, you know, how well those films play with or without that, that background. Mm -hmm. um, Good point. Yes. Yeah. Cause that was something I was thinking about with this because I mean, for me, I mean, I've been a fan of Zhuavsky for a long time, but over the years I've met a number of people that are more articulate on his work than I am. Uh, Daniel Bird, uh, Sam Deegan, uh, Kayla Janice, a lot of people that have written about him or talk about him on podcasts. And so I, I'm a fan and I'm coming to it from a, a film fan perspective, but I haven't read 
like sure. the Dostoevsky or and, and that a lot of the literary sources that uh, his work is rooted in. So I'm just coming to it, you know, as openly as I can, but I am not an expert the way some people I know are. Um, it's it's just, you know, you look at these films and I know, Al, you're a skeptic on him. I know we'll get into that. But I think what, one thing I wanted to bring up is whether or not these films could be read as elitist because a lot of them do benefit from having read the novels or knowing the politics or knowing the history that what might seem incoherent actually has a lot of layers to it. It's actually very highbrow cinema, but it's it's also very visceral and rooted in genre. So it it's it's there's a label called art exploitation. It really is art exploitation in that it um, it is art film in that it requires a fair amount of highbrow education to get the most out of it but at the same time it's very lowbrow in that it's dealing with gangsters or sexploitation or horror or things that uh, are maybe a little bit pulpy for things rooted in in uh, high art literature so it's it's an interesting animal you know beyond the, just the stylistic ticks just the fact that the the content of it is such a mishmash of high and low influences Hmm. It kind of like reminds me about like how um, the approach that Monty Python had. I mean, they were all like in, had this incredibly <laughs> high level of education, but and they would like, but and their like gags would like consist of like stuff that would be incredibly well versed in British literature, yeah. and then just uh, and then it would have a fart noise at the end uh, in a Terry Gilliam uh, cartoon at the end of it. You Definitely know? mixing the highbrow with the lowbrow. Right. And in your in your impression, Bill, both in your own uh, like general impression on Jalaski and 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 what you've heard from these. Um, experts, did they basically come out, did they basically treat um, Shalevsky in this art exploitation like manner? In other words, that it's an incredibly highbrow subject that explores some lowbrow genre um, uh, elements? I think in in every case, possession was the doorway in uh, as far as it For being sure. this outrageous quasi horror film. I mean, it was marketed as a horror film, but I know some that kind of uh, resist the label being applied to possession um, but I think it started with a fascination with that film and then diving deeper and the deeper you go uh, you know you, you just I mean I think every film has its defenders and every film has um, has its merit but I think that they start with possession generally in my experience I mean there might be people that started with other films but everyone I know starts with possession and, and, and then digs further um, and finding mm-hmm. that possession is not just uh, mindless hysteria or uh, weird for weird sake it, it's rooted in real experience and it's rooted in a lot of political ideas as well as you know uh, breaking down a real-life situation he went through. Um, but then you, you go through all of the films that feel like dizzying and, and, and mad, and they all have... There's all inten- there's intention behind it. It's not just random histrionics. Um, that's what mm-hmm. makes it tricky, because do you need to have that, that extra grounding to get something out of it? Um, because well, I, I, exactly I right. often do, and I don't usually come to it with that that extra education. I, I can read up from writers like Sam Deegan wrote a uh, retrospective on Diabolique.com and uh, she did a five-hour analysis with Kat Ellinger for Daughters of Darkness, a series called I Can't Be Close to You Without Suffering. They go five hours through every film in depth. Some people really do the heavy lifting with Joofsky. I I just come to it 
you know, I'm impressed by the energy. I'm impressed by the humor. Uh, there's always something striking happening every few minutes, few minutes, if not every few seconds of a sequence. Um, mm -hmm. I just find it very jolting in a good way. Um, but I like that when I dig deeper, I know that there's there's other layers to enjoy. Um, sure. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's a right. That is such a really great question because like certain films have like these just phenomenal qualities, but like in but you may need to like put, pay a certain level of attention, give a certain level of consideration to what's being put on screen, mm -hmm. and yet other ones like work the other way, where like the more you know about the context or what they, uh, to what they're uh, ostensibly about, the more you can be enhanced by it. Like when we when we get into discussing possession, like um, that particular details behind it might might make it quite um, uh, quite more resonant than just being a mere exercise and so forth. Yeah. In, ter in terms of skepticism, I just want to point out that like mm -hmm. um, uh, Brad was Brad, uh, my partner out for the directors club, was unable to make it. In as that we tried, to, I tried to show him um, uh, Jalowski's The Devil, and he then proceeded to start uh, writhing on the ground and flailing with his arms and. Then busted through a screen door while screaming at the top of he his lungs. He became a character in a Zalowski film. I yeah, I really don't know if he was actually reacting to the Zalowski movie so <laughs> much as aud or auditioning for one. Was he possessed? <laughs> <laughs> um, but but that being uh, but um, but that being said, I guess we should. Um, uh, Jim, were you were about to say mention something? Oh yeah, you know it's uh, before we dive deep here. Uh, I just thought I'd bring it up since you know a, a very successful first episode with the new hosts here was uh, tackling the work of one Danny Boyle and I had the uh, I had the pleasure of getting to see uh, his his sequel train spotting 2 last night at the AMC River East with director and writer in attendance with a very entertaining Q&A and I thought for those who are curious about whether or not it was a good or bad idea to revisit these characters some 20 years later because uh, I'm, I'm definitely one of those skeptics who are like, wow, why, why would you do a sequel to a movie that's 20 years old? I don't know if that's necessarily, uh, you know, what more do you have to tell? Because to me, Trainspotting ends on a satisfying note of, you know, him walking into the sunset, dis determined to change his life. He's got this money that he stole from his friends, and that's that. Where can you go from there? Well, essentially, I think both Danny Boyle and, 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 and the screenwriter decided to do kind of like their, almost like their take on the world's end where it's about uh, nostalgia and coming back to your hometown or where you grew up and seeing all the friends that you kind of abandoned and don't really have a strong connection with and trying to rekindle that friendship in some way. So there's, it's, it's, a, it's a lot more like a, like a drama mixed with uh, a revenge film because uh, Begbie, played brilliantly by Robert Carlyle, he still got it, huh? Yeah. Oh God. Yeah. He's still <laughs> he's still Begbie, and he of course he's still pissed that you know um, Mark stole all the, his money that they they got from that drug deal at the end of the first one. So there's that element of like him sort of chasing him around, which to me becomes a little repetitive. Um, I, like I've I've brought this up to most people that I've talked to about this already. To me, the first train spotting feels like an adrenaline rush, like a 90 minute, I don't even know if it's 90 minutes, but it felt like it's a 90 minute movie that whizzes by, it's got great energy. This one is two hours and five minutes and it felt like it to me. Um, I, I think the pacing is a little off here, but of course Danny Boyle has his like music video kind of 
stylistic t flourishes throughout. And at times, he does this like Natural Born Killers Oliver Stone thing with projecting the first movie into the new movie. Huh. So like the, um, uh, the limey had uh, yeah. stuff, stuff from uh, Ken yeah. Loach's Poor Cowan. Yeah, that's pretty much exactly like that, where it's comment like the, the new movie is commenting on the old movie and how they've grown up and how they've changed. And um, Spud becomes a writer who is essentially writing short stories about all their adventures together. You can probably guess what the name of his novel is <laughs> at the end of the movie. Um, but, you know, overall, if you like these characters and you enjoy spending time with them, they're pretty much right in line. There's nothing, like, too jarring or out of place. It's just it, it doesn't have the same energy as the first film. I think it doesn't feel as fresh. And I think maybe that could be deliberate because these characters aren't as fresh. <laughs> We've seen many types of movies like Train Spotting since Train Spotting to where maybe it's kind of like this meta commentary <laughs> in some ways about like aging and okay so the movie's gonna feel a little slower because we get a little slower as we age i don't know but overall i just i thought it was good but not great mm -hmm. so i just wanted to give my quick review on that for those who are curious it's very cool to see that uh if a director is going to revisit his work yeah he has that awareness and he makes that i mean that he makes the audience also aware that hey you know um, in fact, there's been a really nice, um, a really nice treatment in movies lately, mostly done by like Lord and Miller. I've found where they've mm. like they say, where they acknowledge the audience. Hey, look, we know it's we know it's a little cheesy to go back, but yeah. but well, but but let's go look at this together and see and and see what um, what stuff would happen if they that, came. That back. was that was definitely one of the highlights of Twenty Two Jump Street. Right. Which is they were commenting on 21 Jump exactly Street. Exactly right. And, and, and the sequel. Right, 23 so. Jump Street coming soon. And then I believe the trailer uh, had the next 18 Yeah, uh, that was upcoming. amazing. <laughs> that was the uh, hardest I laughed all year. <laughs> now, that. right, yeah. The um, I was, uh, I, you know, I was think if you're going to really have an honest version of uh, the train spotting sequel, like, uh, like 20 years later, it was kind of going to be like a five-minute slow pan across their graves, right? <laughs> <I mean>. Well, <laughs> yeah, I mean... I won't say whether or not they've completely kicked habits or not, but, uh, you know, it, they've grown up. I mean, everybody except Begbie has essentially changed to some degree, but in interesting ways that don't feel forced. So <laughs> Funny. That just occurred to me, like, it's uh, Bruce Willis's Begbie and old habits die hard. Oh, nice. <laughs> that would be perfect. But, uh, yeah. Well, well, fortunately, we have a director now that will go and, like, calm things down and not have the intensity at the level of, like, Oh, yeah, this guy is, yeah, this guy is almost like uh, Kelly Reichardt, this director <laughs> we're going to talk about. It, it, just very low-key. I am I am I am super curious as to um, as to your guys' impressions on Andrew Jalowski's like very very early films that he had made out I believe in the late six he made some short films in I think the late sixties or early seventies and uh, did the start of Jalowski's style make itself manifest? Well, there's um, there's two short films that were made for uh, Polish television, The Story of Triumphant Love and uh, Pavancello that both came out in the summer of 1969. Um, I think there might be other short films that have been discovered that are not part of the official canon yet, but I haven't heard more. I, I've, just, I've been he hearing that there's more things that have been discovered, but I don't know mm. details beyond that. But these are the two that are in circulation. I actually saw them in color uh, at Brooklyn Academy of Music maybe five years ago, uh, but they're they were broadcast in black and white, and that's uh, 
the copies that circulate now are in black and white, and they look perfectly fine that way. Um, Story of Triumphant Love is a um, it's a love triangle film. Something that uh, love triangles are Shocking. something that come up in a lot <laughs> of the films. Uh, it's a man <laughs> visiting a couple. Um, he's uh, he's friends with the man, but he used to be in love with the wife, and cr- which creates tension when he comes into their uh, visits their mansion. Uh, he's been traveling abroad and he performs this song or a ritual rather like his his friend that is traveling with him they perform a song called the song of love uh, that has like supernatural mm-hmm. properties that allows him to stab himself with a dagger and then remove it unharmed like right off the bat it's like you're having some um, almost like hint of a supernatural quality to the storytelling uh, but it's ultimately a, a melodrama and it's not as stylistically um, over the top as the feature films of Zhivovsky it's a lot more um it, it, it's a little bit more s- subtle and more like a conventional melodrama um, but it's it's interesting uh, it's scored by Andrzej uh, Kaczynski who was the composer on nearly every Zhivovsky film um, it's also the first one that has a love story between a man and a um, who's dying of a fatal illness and a woman um, uh. but it's it, it, it has like almost an element of like a um, I mean I've seen it compared to uh, to like uh uh, Roger Corman's Poe films it reminded me a little bit of um, something like I Walked with a Zombie for some reason I don't know why maybe it's like some huh. trance like behavior at night outside but um, it's interesting it's not of the level of his feature films uh, but it's it's it, it, for fans of his work it, some of the themes start uh, emerging at, at the very beginning so it's it's worth it for uh, for diehards uh, Pavancello is about a violin player scoring a silent film who uh falls in love at first sight with a beautiful woman in the audience love at first sight's another big theme with uh with Zhivovsky and uh he uh can't concentrate from looking at her on what he's supposed to be playing and gets fired from his job but uh he's then hired on to give her violin lessons and um he becomes uh fixated on her and I don't want to tell you the the ending but things end on a on a bitter note but uh it that one is also uh you can find it in black and white and it has maybe like a more it looks really effective in in the black and white transfer that you can find of it like the shadow and light and composition it looks really uh kind of handsome looking film um and it, it both films uh story of triumphant love and uh, pavancello deal with artist musician characters the uh the man in story of triumphant love is a painter and then the guy in pavancello is a uh, musician uh, but they're they're more restrained than uh than the third part of the night on forward as far as the style you're not going to get the same level of hysteria that you might expect from a Zhivovsky film but they're interesting are, are these available anywhere um, they come and go from YouTube I don't know that they have an ah, official okay. home video release um, you can sometimes find them without subtitles floating around online but uh, mm-hmm. yeah they're they're interesting and hopefully they'll they'll find their way to a home video release now but um, yeah that's those are the first two films hmm now, what did you think was the what do you think was the big step forward from those short films out to Jalavsky's um, uh, first uh, feature, the uh, the third part of the night, um, out from uh, nineteen seventy one? I mean, the third part of the night, I think, is a great film. Um, it's a it's I think he as far as the feature films go, I think he emerges like fully, fully at the top of his game. Like, there's no there's no working towards something with him. I think third part of the night hmm. is a great film. Um, Jim, you had you had seen this one also for this, right? Yeah, 
Uh, I remember starting this one. <laughs> no, I liked it. Don't worry. <laughs> I know I, the way I started. I was like, oh, God, yeah. No, um, I remember starting this, uh, I want to say last year, and was just perplexed but very intrigued by it. I had gotten up to what I would consider to be one of the most memorable births <laughs> in all of cinema. And I said, okay. Uh, my brain's about to implode. I need to wait on this and get to a place where I'm ready to handle the uh, intensity level. And I think that's probably true of most of his work, is that I, I, at the same time, it's like I did watch five of his movies in, in the span of two weeks, and I, st I, f I still felt like a little a little shaky afterwards, but I think yeah. that's, that's, that's part of his power, and I think no one can capture the... F the feeling of cinema as a living, breathing nightmare better than this director, which isn't always pleasant to experience because of how intense and visceral and often darkly funny his films happen to be. I think I in terms of audacity, he might, he might top every single one of my favorite directors as being kind of the most fearless. Uh, it, I guess just like in terms of going for broke. I know it's a phrase I've used a lot with other filmmakers is just like, you know, I'm going to do my thing and watch me go. And this, I don't care if it's accessible. I don't care if anybody likes it. This is me. This is my personal vision. So I really respect him for that um, more than anything else. So with third part of the night, um, it's probably my third favorite of his I've seen. And it, it feels chaotic, but controlled. It's essentially a portrait of uh, genocidal madness, which we'll get to also with the, with the, the devil. But I, if I'm not mistaken, Bill, he c did he co-write this with his father? Yeah, uh, Miroslav Zhuavsky, uh is the co-writer of that. And he uh, had experiences during World War II of um, uh, feeding lice for the Weigel Institute. It, it, it was a, yes. There was a situation where... Uh, I'm, I'm going to butcher the history of it a little bit, but, the, but uh, people were... T they were strapping lice to their uh, to their body and feeding them, and then the lice were then harvested to create uh, vaccines to prevent typhus. Um, and this oh. this position, uh, I guess, uh, shielded them from the Nazis because they were considered like health risks. They 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 weren't uh, deported or sent off to the camps. Um, but this uh, this is like a uh, this creates some like some body horror types situations and like really disturbing footage mm -hmm. of close-ups of of the lice uh, ingesting the blood. But um, for fans of Possession, which I assume most people that are listening to this that know Zhuavsky's work at all, they might know that one. This one has, um, I guess, some interesting parallels to Possession. I mean, there's the ending of Possession seems to be visually quoting uh, a key scene from Third Part of the Night. Yeah. And the woman uh -huh. that Isabella Gianni is playing is based on, uh, I'm going to butcher a lot of pronunciations on this, but uh, Malgorazza Braunek, uh, the uh, actress uh, who is Zhuavsky's wife and uh, one of the uh, lead actors in uh, Third Part of the Night and the Devil. Yeah. Um, mm -hmm. the, uh, the sequence on the stairs at the end of Possession quotes... Um, a key scene in in third part of the night where um essentially what the 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 um the basic story of it is uh it's set in nazi occupied poland and uh a guy and his father are out in the woods and while they're outside the um 
Nazi soldiers arrive on horseback and murder his wife and child. Uh, and real startling opening. That's one thing. A lot Good of these, God, yes. a lot of these films have really uh, bracing opening um, scenes. Uh, I think that's true of almost all of them. Um, it really establishes a tone visually and atmospherically, and there's like just kind of these menacing shots of the Polish countryside, and almost like a black mosaic of trees, and it's it's kind of a I wouldn't say. M- muddy but it's just it, it it really captures what it must live like what it must be to live in that particular environment and it really shifts though after his um his family is murdered into a different environment yeah yeah well it so he he emerges from the the woods and he joins the resistance uh but the gestapo find out and they basically chase him down to an apartment and somebody that looks like him is taken capture by the Nazis and he finds himself in the apartment of a woman that's the doppelganger for his dead wife and she's going into labor (laughs) and basically he delivers the child and sort of takes over that man's life and eventually his job and it becomes like a um, like possession, (laughs) like a story of doppelgangers and uh, it's I don't know what to tell you without constant spoilers because I know it's not widely seen and I think that it's going to hopefully have a release in the next year or so. I know it's been restored. Um, oh, but, good. But it has a... Um, and actually, there is a pretty decent uh, DVD from, I want to say, Second Sight um, that you can get if you have region... Uh, if you're able to play European discs. Uh, there's a DVD of it that's pretty good. But um, what I was going to say is that it has... It's not a horror film, but it feels closer to a surreal horror film than, say, a war film. Um, like, there's not scenes of battle, and there's not a lot of the, maybe the cliche scenarios that you might uh, associate with, um, you know, World War II cult cinema. Like, it doesn't have mm-hmm. um, concentration camps, and like even like a lot of Nazi soldier business. It's really much more. I don't want to say. I've heard I've heard it compared to Kafka, but it, it feels like very much like a surreal nightmare scenario. Yeah, and I think the the, the, the um, action set piece, I guess you could call it, in the apartment complex is really visceral. Yeah. Um, and really intense. And then it leads to him having to help a woman give birth. So it's you pretty much go from from death to rebirth in a way. And I think even Jalowski, hmm. uh, you know, because like I guess he's he's incorporating his father's experiences into this. Uh, you might even consider like the birthing of a child, like his own take on how it was, how he might have been born. Yeah, I think. I think to some mm, degree. Yeah, I've read that people have. Yeah, have have said that. So it's. Yeah, I think that's. Yeah, accurate. so it, it feels very personal. I mean, I think all of his films essentially are. Yeah. To some degree or another. Oh, there's yeah, there's definitely a per- <laughs> there's definitely um I have to feel there's definitely like a personal affect that like defines at least the style of what Jalowski makes because you yeah. do not maintain that level of stylistic stuff across so many movies and across decades and decades mm-hmm. without it being something intrinsical that you want that you want to express and 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 I'm sh- and we've there are various stories on how he has treats his cast and crew to get them to behave in this way that you Very need much a- like Hoover. Uh, mm. <laughs> um, like, geez, there was some Fritz Langian like stories I've heard as well. Like, oh. uh, just um, uh, and um, but but uh, it, it, right, that doesn't that has to come from some intrinsic place. I For feel. Sure. Um, 
Uh, do you guys uh, think that it's a level of uh, auspicious debut on the level of, say, Knife in the Water by fellow oh. Polish filmmaker Polanski? I do. In terms, yeah, I do. Yeah. Okay. I, I, I That's do too. Impressive statement. Mm-hmm. That's uh, like there's get- there's definitely so I can see some parallels between him and Polanski. Mm. You know, repulsion. Yes. Possession. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, I can see, I can see them yeah, right, tying re- in together. Right, re- right. Repulsion yeah. also uses like the um, the environment in terms of expre- uh, in terms of expressing the claustrophobic like tension of the characters in a way possession does. Yeah, which yeah. the oh, way you g- the, yeah. as as you guys have uh, effectively described that third part of the night, it almost could be like his later film could be called Repossession. In that it's oh a, no, well we don't want to associate that with repossessed. That's <laughs> that would be bad. Yeah. It's um, but uh, but yeah, it recon- but which can recontextualizes the themes that were already evident in his first movie, sure. but it gives it a little bit more of an apocalyptic feel, maybe a little more social uh, uh, mm-hmm. situation too. Mm-hmm. But that, but Jim, that uh, that point that you had made with regards towards the. Um, the kind of desolate environment that the third part of the night starts with and really gets a a huge historical context in like his next movie. Oh my lord. uh, The Devil (laughs) out in 1972. You know what you're in for in the opening scene. I think that's what I, I mentioned that really quickly. He is so good at establishing tone and mood and what you potentially could be in for for the rest of the film. Which is which is great. It's great when a it's great when a filmmaker play it's a great when a filmmaker plays fair. You know, yeah. you're 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 never you're not you're very rarely fooled when you're watching a Jalowski movie yeah. into going, Hey, wait a minute, this is not what I <laughs> at least in terms of in terms of the kind of manic side of him, he makes that very apparent uh, in the beginnings of many of his films. And mm-hmm. and the and the devil definitely has the case here as like there is um, uh, there is havoc at this uh, convent where um, some soldiers are trying to are being like treated for their wounds, but there is an oncoming army coming in to um, to effectively massacre them all. And into this environment comes in a a very str- very odd figure who mm-hmm. goes in and uh, uh, res- and rescues one person. That one and um, uh, and that person was involved in a political assassination. And but he uh, he and uh, and the the figure who rescued him escaped this environment and over the course along of this, with a nun that's right along yeah. with a nun they did, they bring along the way mm-hmm. and uh, over the course of the movie like your um, um, the figure leads this leads this escapee across across like um, uh, back to his home back to his uh, back to his family and his friends. Uh, all of which has have been like left like bereft by this um, by this um, the horrible situation uh, happening in this um, time period, which I believe is um, around just after like the partition of of, of Poland, like several mm-hmm. hundred years so, yeah. b- before, and and um, and it goes through. It's kind of an episodic thing as it, as it goes and encounters different family members and. Um, and um, and and his friends who are like fellow who were like fellow revolutionaries, but they, they he was the guy volunteered to actually take the assassination hit, and the and this the mysterious figure, um, just his motives, <laughs> and his behavior towards and uh, towards um, guiding this guy, goading this guy, and the kind of things he, he connives the person uh, the connives them to do is um, uh, um, uh, 
is sinister and weird and eerily fascinating in, in a whole number of ways. Like, what's what's like your guys' impressions on when you saw the devil? Um, Go ahead, Bill. Uh, well, um, so I've seen the devil twice on the big screen and I've also seen oh it on boy. DVD and it actually works great with an audience. Um, I bet. You know, the devil is funny because, um, I mean, I first came to it and I watched it mostly as a quasi-horror film. Um, and I guess it might have been made with the intention of taking advantage of the success of, horror, of, of Hammer films, maybe, or Witchfinder General, that, that kind of thing. Um, mm. But it's, I know that it's also meant to be read as, um, I mean, it was so political that it was suppressed by the government. Um, I don't even ah, know that it yes. plays as a political film if you don't know the backstory of it, because it's about you know, political prisoner being freed to rat out accomplices and the government uh, probably correctly uh, read that as, you know, uh, as, as political commentary. And, uh, mm. and, and so it was the reason that Zhivovsky left Poland. But, you know, I, I, I think I think it's one of the most uh, compelling films in the, in the canon with him uh, for, for me. I mean, I think that it foreshadows possession in a way and that it like uh it's the horrors of coming home to find your domestic life turned into a kind of a horror show um it's very funny uh it's got some very bizarre moments it's just it, in, in a way it's almost kind of like a uh like a road movie i guess because it's just set yeah, piece to set sure. piece um and they're on horseback so you could say it's like a demented western or something but uh yeah it's like it, jalovsky's logan <laughs> <laughs> is uh the devil here because that's you know mm. just going on going on the road and you know having uh interactions with various different people and coming across some really interesting characters uh there is definitely some wolverine like <sighs> behavior and by that mm -hmm. i mean the vicious animal <laughs> yes i'll say yeah you know i i think first the, the first horse getting its throat oh. in movie history maybe <laughs> yeah maybe Simulated, mm -hmm. we we hope. <laughs> yeah. Um. Uh. It like this. Yeah. This movie is this movie. I'm. I was really. I was really affected by it because the the particular time period it was me it was referencing is, um, a a kind of a dark period in Polish history, mm. known like as the Partition, and it was a period where like the um. German uh, forces, Russian forces, and Austro-Hungary basically like decided amongst themselves to split. The area of Poland up, and then mm. Poland ceased to exist as a country until until World War until it got reestablished during World War One, and so it is literally a loss of in a in a director whose films so often deal with like identity uh, and the uh, and loss of identity. It's a loss of identity on a national scale. Yeah, and it and with that in mind, the 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 desolation you see in this in the film the. The, the the dilapidated houses the 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 convent in in complete chaos in a way that by the way I think is rivals the um, many scenes in Ken Russell's The Devils a similar go for broke kind of uh, filmmaker mm -hmm. and and the broken the fractured relationships and also the very hard scrabble means of existence the kind of things that people need to do just to survive in that environment yeah. is so effectively bleak I mean and it combines its bleakness with 
uh, with a very like lack of sense of hope and direction. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's it's like they're they're almost embracing the the inevitable self destruction of the species in a way, and uh, it's it's so intense after a while, and this one I felt very exhausted by, but I was consistently engaged with it and found it to be. Uh, hypnotic in its hysteria. Uh, I know people who will immediately dismiss some of Zulowski's tendency to just, you know, be on one volume level for the majority of the film. But I always, I all, I, I think he, you know, the way he opens the film is like, okay, are you in for the ride or not? Basically, it's it's setting the tone for a lot of chaos that will follow in different environments and different situations. Mm -hmm. um, you know, again, it's he. I think he does really well with this idea of uh, the corruption of humanity and a lot of it done on a macro level scale. To, but he focuses on one or two or three or four characters, and I really like how you have kind of like an idealism or idealistic young man who wants to fight for his dreams is a, is winds up being corrupted or twisted into this instrument of violence and that's essentially what war does and it does it to you know anybody i, I mean you can look at a flip side of that and see like john borman's Ho hope and glory in which a child essentially turns war into a playground um but for the most part, it is horror. It is chaos. It is, you know, just this this feeling of hopelessness when you know this kind of violence is everywhere. And, you know, I, I don't want to, like, get too political, but <laughs> at the same time, I, I, I worry about the, the state of our nation and the, the, just the escalation of violence and certain prejudices that are taking place. I will never, like, think, like, well, World War III is going to happen, we're going to be affected, and it's going to all go to hell. But at the same time, I think... Zulowski embraces the emotional impact of um, being surrounded by war and violence and genocide. Yeah, I want to go and make, I want to use that as an opportunity to just point out and like, point out like Zulowski's like overarching like kind of style of, of, dire of directing actors. Sure. And, and how this like reflects on, on the devil in, 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 two, in two particular ways. Um, first off, I think a lot of the, um, uh, I think a lot of the attention of given that his films are horror, quote unquote, are they're there because I feel a lot of his, a lot of his performance aspect, a lot of his performance aspect are are pornographic in the same way horror stuff is pornographic. By me, by that I mean, it's there to give an effect for you to freak yeah. you out. He, I, he, and, it's, and it works. It's effective. Well, yeah. yes, yes, and 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 like and like Horde, there sometimes can be a sense that like that he is just doing that effect, that he's just doing this kind of effect to go and um uh, to to freak you out, to push your buttons, to to move you out of your to move you out of your comfort zone, and that's the majority, if not nearly the entirety of of what's happening. But on the converse side, in, in regards to the devil, because this is a great case where the context of the movie or the environment mm -hmm. it can inform that kind of performance and where that performance is is very, very useful, okay? Yeah. There, there is, I'll give you one example. There's a particular scene where like, there's a particular scene where a, la where a lady who has become a prostitute has like, picks up a suitor and then, and when she finds out who this, when she finds out who the suitor is, she shrieks at the top of her lungs and just and and, and screams, running around from room to room. However, when it turns, since 
does finds out that the suitor is her son, if you think about it, that's kind of not a particularly horrible reaction <laughs> to find uh, out someone yeah. you've just about been about to sleep with. You know what I mean? Certainly. <laughs> yeah, but I think a lot. I think you're right in that a lot of emphasis is placed on histrionics and screaming in, in Jalovsky's world, mm -hmm. and I think that that's based. That's kind of like the surface level. Uh, just like only focusing on like, oh, his movies are so loud and intense and, you know, full of screaming, you know, women. And I'm just kind of like, that's that's um, minimalizing it a little bit. Like just sort of focusing on just that is not really the way to go. There's certainly allegorical elements to, to look at. I'm certainly not in tune with all of it and I don't know my Polish history and I kind of want to now. <laughs> I would say beyond it's, just well, the... Uh, I was going to say just beyond the fact that the, the acting style is very distinctive... Um, the camera style and the way that everything is in sharp focus in most films. Um, mm -hmm. It's a very, I mean, I guess for, in terms of like American films, you know, you could compare it to like maybe the most hyperactive, like mid period Scorsese kind of camera work. But I think it's even more aggressive than, than him uh, in certain, oh, sure. in certain films, like definitely in the case of the devil or Lamore Brock, not in all of them, but I mean, in, in some of them, the camera work is just as, um, caffeinated as the acting um and then it's, it's and also the the situations that that happen are also um i mean you could compare I, this is probably not a uh it's a superficial comparison but to someone like you know early amadovar like just the um the absurd melodramatic events that occur mm. it, it, things things that are surprising have to happen like there's 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 a uh, an impatience with juafsky that i think um especially the early films where I think that he needs there, there's a sense that like he, I, even though he had a long career, it has that same kind of nervous energy of like a filmmaker that might not get another chance. And so let's, let's cram ideas in, but it's not, it's not as overloaded a frame as like someone like say Terry Gilliam or uh, maybe Greenaway or like people that really stuff the films with things like this. They still feel kind of um, like sleek, uh, but they, they're just, things come at you so fast. I mean, that, that's why like taking notes for some of these films was just, uh, you know, it's, it, it's, it's hard to keep all of it straight sometimes because so much information keeps, keeps coming and coming and coming. Yeah. Your well, notebooks wind up looking like John Doe uh, in seven. <laughs> yeah. Well, I'm in it's, uh, yeah, on his filmmaking, on his filmmaking te technique, like there are other directors whose style is to uh, is this kind is has this quote unquote in your face quality. But I don't know if there is a single director who um, who makes the camera such an intrusion as as what Jalowski does. Maybe Sam Raimi in Evil Dead Two. Raimi, but, well, Raimi I mean, does like, that. Well, yes. literally because the the intrusive camera like breaks down doors and stuff. That's right. But yes. no, here it's it's especially in possession. I I agree, Bill. That it's very sleek and it glides like the steady cam is smooth. It's I mean there are times when it's shaky and jarring because the situation calls for it. That's right. But I think the use of steady cam is really incredible. Like I'm I like I thought Goodfellas was the end all be all of cinematography when it comes to steady cam. I don't know if that's true now. And and, and <laughs> but yeah and the and 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 in a in a similar way of how Raimi just has the camera literally intruding into the house. Like 
um, the camera in the devil is super effective, I find, in mm-hmm. exposing an intrusion in society. Like, yeah. well, like, a, like, like when whether it's like parties or family or gatherings or like, uh, mm-hmm. or like, or there's even actually a performance uh, uh, troupe go in the film. Like, the camera moves in as if it's an intruder that uh, that does not ne- mean the cam that does not mean well for the characters and in, that it's lo- that it's looking at. I think, in fact, there's even a ballroom dance where they actually do bust the doors uh, of Raimi style. I'll be probably uh, not using a motor. I'll be probably not using a motorcycle. Hmm. And and the sense of the intruder is also I find really fascinating in it because the um, the mysterious figure who does who rescues this guy, he is he's malevolent mm-hmm. for sure, mm-hmm. but then he's also like like whimsical there's a way of there's a sense of joking and riddling that he does he does seem like a Terry Gilliam character um (laughs) (laughs) he does hmm. Gilliam's characters I've never found have been as actively like potentially malevolent and dangerous as this guy is but they do but there is a case where they also go and um um, where where he's meant you're meant to like laugh at the the crazy things he's doing as well. Yeah, I mean like even for the guy he rescues, he's like, okay, here's a nun to keep you company too. Mm-hmm. I was just like, exactly. Oh, that's an uh, yeah, odd and, choice. And, and, right, and the t- and I mean I real I mean I really enjoy his I really enjoy his character. He he has this level of containing multitudes of like of 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 sort of. Evil and impishness that I would put in with Robert Mitchum from Night Night of the Hunter, someone who can oh. be a, a terrifying figure at one moment, but then <laughs> a um, but then a, a figure of humor a, as well, and it yeah. ties in on Jalaski's performance style in a moment where he. Uh, goes in uh, where where he's asked as to why are you doing all these horrible things? And he says, "No, no, I like I like nice things. I like um, I, I there's a lot of beauty in the world, but I can't tell it to you. Yeah. I have to dance it out." <laughs> and he does this dervish-like set of motions. And I'll be honest, I'll be, it comes pretty damn close. <laughs> yeah. Um, uh, Bill, what do you find? Uh, did uh, did you find the that character um like uh uh interesting in a similar oh, way? Oh yeah, yeah. I think he's hilarious uh, as well as mm. as well as menacing. Um, and he got a lot of laughs when I've seen it in the theater. Uh, I mean, it's I it plays like very jet black comedy. A lot of it does. Um, mm-hmm. I think when yeah. he starts dancing, I think that's when the audience lost it the most. When I saw it uh, in Brooklyn, uh, yeah. then again, Brooklyn audiences laugh at most things that are trying to be serious so it's hard to know <laughs> but um <laughs> but yeah i know it's and and since we were talking about the uh, cinematography i might mispronounce his name but andrzej yurashevich i think is the name of the of the regular dp on most of these uh, early films um who does a lot of uh really uh heroic handheld camera work in these films like possession and the devil and uh, you know he gives it a lot of the uh the energy because uh, that was the thing i was thinking about was um it's not energy com- that's devised in the editing room. It's really, it really feels because there's like these unbroken shots of the camera yeah. is wild and the acting is wild. That feels like you're like captured chaos, even though it is very controlled. I mean, that's the thing with the devil. I mean, the devil is very orchestrated. It's not, it's not a, um, it, it feels like a free for all at times, but it is, it is, you know, it's carefully composed. Um, yeah, I, I don't. I, and this is another one like Third Part of the Night that was recently restored and hopefully coming to home video, you know, in the next year in a in a more definitive presentation than what has you know previously been out there. 
Yeah. Now you, we we had mentioned about like how possession was a the quote unquote gateway drug for um, uh, Zhilovsky, but to me, if to me, I I really like the devil, and I th I I think the devil would be is a is a really great way of showing not just like the kind of qualities that Zhilovsky does, but how those qualities can be applied to like a more to like to like a serious subject, and mm -hmm. like really evoke a, a evoke a, a sensibility over at a time and place. And I would say it would be it would be great for people if they, if they get a chance to get a hold of the devil is to play it as a double feature with um, Jim Jarmusch's Dead Man because I actually think it's a oh. spiritual it's a spiritual Polish hmm. version of what Dead Man's doing also looking at the looking at a um, uh, America, a quintessential American setting, but in this kind of quasi mystical, surreal, like dangerous yet very silly at times, yeah. different kind of manner. And Dead Man's the the the, the feel of that though. I mean, lang it's a very languid film. That's true. It doesn't have the energy. Um, but the thematic stuff is. The I can see that. Stuff is, yeah. is, is really close, including a guy who's who's trying to find a sense in the world and sure. is define and is being taught to define himself by violence. Yeah. What does that mean and 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 what does that mean in the Polish context is a little different than what it means in the American context, but the journey has some very 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 eerie similarities. Yeah, what does identity mean when suddenly your country is invaded by communism and how does that affect you? How does it affect your friends? How does it affect your family? I think Zulowski is he, he essentially wants to you know, he knows it's horrific. He knows it's you know unhealthy, but he he likes to laugh at the absurdity of it. And that, I think that's kind of what I got the most out of Cosmos is just how absurd you know interactions and wordplay and things can be w between people sometimes. Mm -hmm. um, I could be way off, but I just like well, that's that's a, we'll get to it when we get to it. But certainly, um, you know, in, in this case, there are moments of dark comedy that you you know I, I, I want to see this with an audience if at all possible <laughs> I think it'd be a lot of fun and mm. twisted yeah uh, now now we, we're gonna we're gonna move on on to people who actually redefine themselves with an increased <laughs> emphasis on performance Yeah, I didn't get to see the most important thing is love, but it's the number one. It's, it's the one I want to see the most. It's uh, yeah, it's a it's a it's a really nice one. Um, there, it's a 1975 film about a um, about a photographer who um, moonlights in uh, filming uh, pornographic scenes, has um, uh, like takes some takes some uh, photos of um, actress uh, played by Romy Scheider. In a, um, uh, in a in a kind of a period piece type film, and later he go, comes to her house where she's like living a heart like in um uh, in a kind of weird rental arrangement, like living a kind of a hard scrabble life, just trying to make it as an actress. Mm -hmm. And through his own efforts, uh, by um, talking with his the um, gangster people who he employs him uh, at times, gets her into a role of uh, in a play of rich, uh, a very unique version of Richard the Third. Where um, the the titular character is played by uh, Klaus Kinski, um, and uh, through that through that look of the play, um, 
you get a you you get a sense of just like the what does it mean on in to, to try to get a good performance in that performance and they have a burgeoning relationship which is a little bit of an issue with her husband which is another triangle a romantic hmm. triangle uh, like manifests itself um uh, coming off from those first two films, like uh, it's a little bit uh, interesting to see how like Jalowski applies the brakes um, uh, on his um, on his uh, uh, hyperactive camera moves in this one, and um, and it's I've also found that this was a quite of a, a tour de force for Romy Scheider, who's like often like presenting herself without without any makeup and um, and and takes herself to several really really vulnerable moments in the film. It's um uh, like a very uh, uh, like open um uh, perform a performance by her and um and and does not uh, uh, doesn't succumb to the histrionics of, of some say some other Zhilovsky um um heroines like hmm. so um and then uh, the big although the biggest combination of performance and style that came across to me is that. Kinski as Richard Kinski as Richard III. When he plays Richard III in the perform in the in the play, when you see it uh, depicted on on screen, to me it's like it is um it is uh, he shoots shoots for the roof like uh, it's um and but that fits the Richard III character. But when Kinski as is an actor in the in the in the real world of the movie. I am actually amazed by how well, how good of a fit he is. Because it's, it's actually, he's quite, I found him calmed down quite a bit than some of the, say, some of the Herzog efforts. Yeah. Hmm. Like, but I mean, it seems that he is on, like, Jalowski's level of heightened, um, of heightened attention and heightened emotion. Uh, what's, you, what's your guys' impression, uh, Bill? On yeah, I, this is one of my very favorites of, uh, of Jalowski. Um, oh. It is, um, it's funny. I th this is one that uh, I find maybe the most emotionally engaging of all of his films, and it is a little bit calmer than something like The Devil or even Possession. Um, yeah, it's uh, it's funny. Have you ever seen uh, Contempt, the uh, Godard film? Uh, I have not. I have not either. Okay, because the music so. from uh, that film uh, is it George Delarue is is very similar to the score of of. Uh, he wrote the music for this one also and so it's that's what the first thing i think of is is uh that that score for that film but it's yeah it is um it's interesting casting too because it's um it's an international co-production and um so they bring in uh fabio testi to play the lead uh lead character who um would be known for like italian cop and you know uh like crime films um and Klaus Kinski would be, I don't even know if he was that well-known for the Herzog films at that point. Maybe he was. I mean, those precede uh, this film, but I, I don't know if those, I don't know how well-known those were yet. Um, uh, Jacques Dutronc, I might be mispronouncing it, was like a, a pop star. And he actually later plays the lead in uh, My Nights Are More Beautiful Than Your Days. Um, but this is maybe the first, well, I, I mean, I like, you know, the performances, uh, from uh, uh, was it Malgaratza Braunek? I, I wish I ha had better mental uh, command of her name, but uh, but Romy Schneider for me is one of the uh, I, I mean one of the great uh, female uh, performances in the, in the in the Jurovsky canon as far as the, well, it's the it's the least wild, but it's it's um, but it's not in an uninteresting way. I think um, this was I, I guess came at a point where she. 
was already an established star, but I don't know if her star was starting to fade, and this kind of helped her maybe re, re, uh, reignite her career for an, another phase of it. But um, yeah, I I'm not sure what to say about it. it's it's um, it's you know it's it's um, yeah, I, I, yeah back to you. I'm not sure what I want to say there. Well, <laughs> it sounded it's, to me as Al was describing. It sounds like it has some. Um, correlations with la femme publique i don't know if it's just like the the idea of putting on a play in the playfulness of reality and fantasy with art and an actress sort of struggling with you know being perceived one way over another is there is there some is there is i mean obviously this is a little bit more of a love story involved too but it kind of concentrates. It kind of concentrates mostly on the relationship part, mm-hmm. and when it is on stage, it's actually like, um, it's uh, a very self. I find it like a self-reflective look upon what does it mean to pull out like a good performance on stage. Oh, like, okay, good. Like there's I one like particular this. there's one particular situation where um, uh, Romy is is uh, Romy's character needs to put on a performance of a person who's um, who has died in the in the Richard III st- in the Richard III play, mm-hmm. and so the director literally takes her husband and puts him in the coffin, <laughs> so she can go and like uh, so she can go and like make a good performance. You know, and I think that's going maybe got, went a little bit f- a little bit too far, but that's kind of a weird accusation to make in a Zelowski film. It's actually very I mean it's very muted and it is to the point of like what direct to how far do you go yeah. to like put on put on a performance I like artists deconstructing their own art uh, yeah. right before our eyes and obviously the strong one of the strongest examples is Charlie Kaufman yes. the next to Key New York mm-hmm. and and like with the and the photographer and the photographer has a pretty I mean it's a pretty interesting like um a kind of um, level of noble drama that the that this guy has of trying mm-hmm. to get above and uh, to trying to get above his station by like using by sort of help, hmm. it goes. It's an interesting psychology of how he tries to help himself to get himself above his station by helping by helping uh, Romy Scheider's character get uh, get above hers. He sees he there's a like there's a moment like in the very beginning where like he is snapping pictures of her surreptitiously on a and when she's doing a performance over. Over a over a prone person, and she's trying to get to say the words "I love you" on there, and she's not getting it. And then he's, and then she notices that the camera, she notices that the camera is taking snapping photos. Right, notably, that's a shot where she's looking right at us at the camera lens, ah. and that scene is echoed at the end of the movie, which leads as as to your point, Jim, about how it's folding in on itself. Sure. Yeah, and and uh, and I don't know. I don't know. Your impressions are that, Bill, but I do get a sense that, like, throughout, like, like this and his um, upcoming films, like Jalowski does, like, focus a mirror, like maybe a funhouse one, over in on itself. So yeah. it has refractions on refractions on refractions. I, I think it is maybe the first self-reflexive Jalowski film. I mean, you know the. Uh, I, I, certainly, the reviews of Richard the Third that he's reading are review, are negative reviews of his own films, uh, mm-hmm. or at least the uh, the criticisms that he was you know, he was aware of the uh, of, of the negative press that he sometimes received. Uh, are they really criticisms of his, uh, of, his of his earlier features? Yeah, well, of I mean, I, or, earlier? yeah, the um, as far as the hysteria and all that, I yeah, <laughs> they're they're I I think they are quoting some bad review he got, but. Um, 
<laughs> yeah, no, I, I mean it. It is, you know, maybe the definitive of the uh, of the of the several love triangle films, and uh, it has a, it's such a bracing opening uh, with uh, Sh- Romy Schneider not being able to say "I love you" in this sexploitation horror type film, um, and and just uh, not being able to uh, be photographed by Fabio Testi's character. Um, I don't know. It's funny thinking about the the Dutronc character, and uh, she, she has a, a husband played by uh, Jacques Dutronc in this that is a uh, collector of old movie stills and movie posters, and as a cinephile. Mm-hmm. Hmm. And uh, it's funny to see a filmmaker uh, craft such a uh, critical portrait of uh, of a cinephile. Uh, like he's he's not he's not <laughs> right. he's not an unsympathetic character, but he's hmm. he's an ineffective. Uh, figure romantic figure for for Romy Schneider. Uh, he's and, and maybe like I don't know if it's implied that he's the he's spending too much of their money on on these trinkets of actresses that his actress wife has to act in grade Z schlock to support them. <laughs> um, mm-hmm. That yeah. th- there's an irony in that, but the um, yeah, yeah no, I think that it's <laughs> I think that if you watch it as a cinephile and relate to him it's it's not the most flattering portrait of of a movie buff because uh he's <laughs> he's ultimately a very, like a comic character but also kind of a pathetic character and uh yeah it yeah no sorry it, no it's not no i'm just saying i want to point out how super cool that is that apparently Zhilovsky may have made the first fanboy in movie oh. a depiction in in movie history um, and and I'm also curious as to what you what you thought about like how it informs his character, especially the decisions that he makes, uh, like like um, you know near the end of the film. In what way do you think like he just like does he idolize Romy Scheider's character, or in in what ways do you think he feels he's falling short? Who uh, Jacques Dutronc? Or yes, yeah, yeah, um, Dutronc. I you know it's hard to even know how much he's trying to hold on to the relationship because he seems. He seems like a distracted character, but um, mm-hmm. it's a case where, and this is, happens in a lot of the films where like love and obsession, like a love at first sight kind of quality, like people just have this kind of instantaneous connection and then it just, uh, they can't fight Consumes it. Them. Yeah, they can't resist it and, it and all the melodrama kind of ensues from there. Um, mm-hmm. So even though for kind of a film with a lot of sexual imagery in it. I mean, you know, he's photographing pornography. She's acting in sexploitation type films. They don't have sex. <laughs> they just yeah. have this heat between them. <laughs> um, it's, it's surprising. It, right. It's real. <laughs> it's really cool to see through his filmography. There's different points like where, he, where Jolaski manages to hold back. In it. And I think something in the most important thing is that he gets to a level of emotional intimacy. He's, the valuable thing is the connection that the people have. Like there is a, a really nice moment where they're trying to talk about, oh, what are we supposed to do? You're supposed to invite me over to my play. You're supposed to invite me over to your place and so on. He said, why don't we just talk? <laughs> and hmm. like, and and I don't I don't know how much of like um like a uh, uh, overarching statement like Jolaski was making about his own filmmaking or or whatnot. But in this for this particular story, I think it's really notable how like um, you know the like that both the level of both the level of how intimacy is can be expressed in like communication terms and also how like the the approach of like sexual intimacy is done in this like there is a kind of level of 
uh, there's a diff- uh, particular outlook in the pornographic, uh, the way the pornography <laughs> getting filmed, not pornogra- pornography, but these kind of orgies that the photographer is making for blackmail purposes, how these guys, how these are getting presented. And, and I think kind of one of the most evocative imagery things, sometimes like a filmmaker can make a poetic, a thing, a poetic moment would just work perfectly where like after taking these pictures of Romy Scheider he's beset upon by the film crew because he's an interloper in that area and and he fight he fights them off and it's a great uh, nice fight sequence <laughs> but then at the end he's hidden a film in his mouth which has been punched so he literally like almost vomits out a bloody piece of, a, a bloody film canister right. which is like that's so uh. what his <laughs> that's so what he's doing <laughs> in an emotional sense that's a good point. So I, I, I really, I really like how I really like how you were able to like you know to take these. One thing you can say on 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 Jalaski is that we when he can go and focus his emotional intensity on like on on actual like relationship concerns like it can it can resonate really it can resonate really hard and and speaking of exactly <laughs> that to- right and that le- right that leads to his right that leads to his next film a film a film that like um about a film that's about a kind of breakup that's actually almost ends up breaking the film in the world itself before before uh, we get before we get to that one i just want to say that the most sure, important sure. thing is to love was a uh, kind of a success uh and it had a big huh. cult following in france it played certain theaters for a long time and it it actually gave him the cachet to return to poland to make on the silver globe which we'll get to later um but he went back to poland after the success of his first foray out of polish cinema uh, that experience, you know, was negative, and that yeah. sent him uh, scrambling over to eventually make possession in 1981. Possession, like, was um, a film about like a couple played by Isabella Johnny and and Sam Neill, who have like who have been experiencing this just real a really harsh level of like of of marital strife, and that's combined with the like that there's appears to be some sort uh, some sort of like seeing wrong on on Johnny and like a on a on a ment- there's a mental breakdown occurring, and. And the breakdown just mani- uh, like manifests itself after there was ma- in in worse and worse ways. After there was, she reveals that there was an affair, and Neil reacts in a in a level the same kind of level as Tom Cruise in Eyes Wide Shut, <laughs> in terms of like going for a pursuit. And then, yeah, that's a good point. And then it um and and then as as Sam Neil digs deeper and deeper and pushes harder and harder against Ajani and Ajani pushes back, things get more and more dire and 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 their environment gets their environment themselves gets worse and worse, and and it it actually leads to a like just stunning stunning moment of of. Possession is it possession in a in a subway in a subway tunnel to which then things get very very dark and very very weird. One of the most memorable moments in movie history. <laughs> right. I uh, you, is unforget that yeah. is unforgettable. I think this whole movie is unforgettable. I think 
like I mentioned, the use of Steadicam, um, the set pieces involving confrontation uh, and extreme anger are among the best I've ever seen. I don't know how much furniture probably got destroyed. Um, but <laughs> it's yeah, they, they did the furniture what, like, Blues Brothers did to police cars. Yes, and malls. Mm -hmm, um, yeah. But, yeah, I sh and, and Johnny gives one of the great performances of all time, without question. And... In my estimation, this could be the best breakup movie ever made. <laughs> it's like, <laughs> what if Lars von Trier directed Kramer versus Kramer? Hmm. Uh, yes, if both characters were played by Cosmo Kramer, maybe. Yeah. <laughs> but like, uh, but yeah, and Johnny, yeah, and Johnny is one of these like, yes, it's one of these performances where I would put it like up with Rene Falconetti out from the like the Passion of Joan of Arc and mm. and. Um, and and what um, Emily um, Emily Watson did with uh, breaking, breaking the, the waves, waves yeah. were like you just I I I feel um, both awestruck and and worried I, and were <laughs> that's right that's right I feel concerned for them that they were put that they were legitimately pushed to a place of emotion that people are feel in the, like their worst in their worst moments. How could these two not have had at least like some not not necessarily a breakdown after making this movie, but certainly. Did they just go off to a retreat and meditate, I hope? <laughs> or just do something where they processed what it was like to inhabit these characters? Well, I, Isabella Jani attempted suicide after it, but... Uh, oh, my God. But in a... It, well, well... Oh, wow. But in a way that Zhivovsky plays off as being um, not a serious attempt, just a... Uh, oh, right, yes. A, uh, a, 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 a diva-like moment, I guess, is how he plays it off in, when he mentions it in interviews. Um, but, hmm. yeah, uh, there, there was... There was some wow. psychological, uh, you know, impact. It, well, it leads to the question, Bill: mm -hmm. Is it was it worth it? It's a, it is an amazing scene, but does pushing somebody to that level? Do, do we need to see that? The, the, does the world need to see that? That like uh, it's that. I think so. I mean, it's 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 acting. Okay. She was she was recognized for it. She went on to, you know, act. Uh, she's still acting. Yeah, I mean, it it was a. Um, it's a challenging part, but I think I mean that's she was a professional actor, and I I think that I I don't know if um, I mean I, I I don't think it because she emerged from it fine. I don't think it was anything that uh, yeah I I don't think Zhuwaski was at fault you know for pushing her to a point that was uh, unprofessional you know. But uh, hmm. I think I think that it, it was a. Uh, it's the it's the performance that might be the the best thing she's ever done or most people have ever done in in her field. Um, so I don't know. Yeah. I mean, I think that it is, but I mean, no one was no one was physically hurt from it, and I don't think she's traumatized now. She doesn't mm. talk about uh, it, but I don't. I uh, but I don't know. Neither of them do. Yeah, I, I'm not like I I couldn't find like Sam Neill talking about it anywhere. I, I, I would, would um, like to be in this. Yeah, I I'm if I'm if I'm if I'm remembering correctly, and please correct me if I'm wrong. Um, didn't and Johnny like play a succession of characters with different levels of mental issues like later on in her career, and may that level the performances in them or the subject matter have just been just hmm. influenced by the kind of uh, role that she did in Possession. That, that could be. I'm not really an expert on her post-possession career outside of a few stray roles that don't quite line up with that, but it could be. Mm -hmm. We'll find out how many grocery bags she smashed in other movies. Yeah, it's it. That that sequence is um uh, that, uh, like that sequence is just ast astou astounding to witness. Yeah. Uh, um, 
um, as is the um, appearance of a particular um, uh, creature on a bed. Like um, um, la- uh, very H.R. Geiger kind of a creation. Yes, and and for and for a, and for a similar reason, it kind of like um, um, it kind of reminds it, I. The, that's kind of the one of the moments in the movie where where it kind of like loses me in the sense oh okay you're doing this now this is that was my first impression it's after a literal it, manifestation of right yeah yes mm-hmm. and this is and this is before I had seen um Cronenberg's the brood which sure. I kind of like I kind of th- now when I was having seen the brood I kind of see that is a an extension of what's mm-hmm. of what's kind of going of what's going on in there um uh, a lot of the events that a lot of the events that happen, which do not feature a Johnny, I think, kind of fall real, kind of like fall really, really short. Where I kind of think they use as a they they un- use as an acting template the um, uh, the scene in Evil Dead where Ash's hand possesses himself and he keeps hitting plates with his own hand. Um, Neil <laughs> does not. Neil, I don't find. I don't think. I, I think he's fifty. I'm fifty fifty on what Sam Neill does. Sometimes it looks like he's legit when he um, he's legitimately an angry um, uh, part of that couple, and sometimes he's looks like boy, what should I do? Should I bulge out my eyes? Should I go and like chew my own arm off? What should I? You know. I think he's really good in this type of role because, like, I've I've known him from the piano and in the Mouth of Madness, and obviously. There's some wild histrionics in in the mouth of madness yes. in that in that film that uh, I think are a little bit more controlled and when you put it in context of a broken relationship it has more power to it throughout this movie in particular like I mean yeah the the scenes where they're confronting each other in very intimate settings or at a restaurant or whatever yeah it, it definitely has more intensity behind it but I think I, I think he's successful in this role pretty much throughout the film oh, okay. yeah I'd agree too I, w- I think it's I think it's a fantastic performance I don't have any uh, issues with Sam Neill in this one it's funny this was the first mm-hmm. thing I saw of Zhivovsky's and I saw the truncated uh, version back in oh what was probably that like, like 84 minutes or something, something like, like that it, I don't I, I haven't seen it since I was in te- uh, you know probably in high school I guess is when I saw it but I I mean the only thing I knew and I guess we can I guess we're spoiling possession but I mean all yeah. I knew about it was that it was the film where Isabella Johnny fucks a monster that's all I knew about it so I went into it expecting a more straightforward monster movie and instead I get yeah. a Bergman-esque psychodrama for a good portion of it um, That's right. But when I show it to people, um, I usually try to distract them when Carlo Rimbaldi's creature credit comes up so that they don't know that it's going to take that uh, dip into the supernatural um, so that it really shocks people when that when that uh, monster shows up at the midway point. Yeah, he puts, he puts a bag over people's heads for just a split second when you watch a movie with Bill. Yeah. <laughs> yeah well, it's that. right, right, and I mean, right, see, and what you what you brought up, Bill, is like a really good example of, you uh, of like, sometimes the, the way to, like, look at, appreciate a film, you have to, like, be able to go and, you know, fr- framing. Framing can be really, framing can be really important. If you get, like, I'm, I'm, I'm sure your impression of, like, seeing this um, a, a big time John Cassavetes like argument, huh. a level argument was not what you were expecting from your. Where's my monster fucking? You know, right? Well, it was. Um, it was a case where I saw it as a teenager and thought it was interesting, but not what I was expecting. And I didn't think about mm-hmm. it until I think my senior year of college. I met someone whose favorite film was Possession, 
mm-hmm. and I was like, oh, it's that that film with Isabella Johnny and the Monster. That's interesting. Um, and when Anchor <laughs> Bay released it on DVD, I blind bought the director's cut, which was, I knew a much longer cut of the film. And I've been actually dying to see the old version of it again, just for uh, the sake of comparison. I guess MondoVision couldn't license it when they put out their Blu-ray version. Uh, I think maybe some of the soundtracks that had like more traditionally spooky horror music on the soundtrack or like wow. omen omenish kind of music. I forget, but it, it, they they tried to make it more conventional horror film in the in the truncated version. But um, uh-huh. seeing it again, do they do on uh, in the full cut. Um, it became one of my favorite films. Uh, it's still one of my favorite films, just in any genre from any director and. Um, and actually, I, I should say that um, the audio commentary for Possession is one of my favorite uh, filmmaker com- commentaries of all time. And that really, I think that's what made me excited about Zhuavsky beyond Possession. Um, because it it's funny, as a fan of his films, I mean, Possession is one of my favorite films. And at the same time, I feel a little sad that many people probably will never see a second film of his, uh, you know, because a lot of them are not easily available and, you know, a lot of them fall outside. I mean, you could sell Possession as a very interesting horror film to somebody, but it's it's a, it's a far cry from most of the other films, which are uh, not genre films in that way. Um, yeah. But, and, but the comparison to The Brood, I, I remember bringing this up to Daniel Byrne. He seemed to he didn't seem too keen on the comparison like he didn't think that that was intentional on Zhuavsky's part and he knew Zhuavsky so I mean I take him at his word but I find so many similarities with The Brood uh, from you know the uh, the fact that uh, even just the fact that there's a a school teacher as the as the other woman at Mm -hmm. one point but even just some of the way that the the child in the marriage is kind of framed you know shirtless from behind and the father observing the torso like there's shots that seem like they're lifted from the brood Um, and it could be coincidence but I mean the um, the brood and the possession both are about real life marriages disintegrating. Um, in both cases, the woman gets involved with somebody in real life that had like a, um, like I think Cronenberg's wife got involved in some sort of new agey cult or something. And and I think mm-hmm. Zhuavsky's wife got involved in with some guy that was kind of like the Heinrich character, like a Buddhist kind of figure. Um, like uh, there's a lot of parallels uh, beyond the body goodness. horror things. Um, but in both cases, it's it's someone working out like a painful breakdown of a relationship in a supernatural way that makes it a very commercial way to exercise some demons. But I, mm-hmm. I don't know. I, I think that possession it's the only English language one uh, is, is the other thing. Um, yeah, that's true. And I know right. That, other films have dabbled in English. The English is spoken here or there, but this is all in English. Yes. Mm. Yeah, but I don't think I even read it as a political film. You know, as far as like taking place in Berlin and divided city and all that kind of business. When I first mm-hmm. saw it, I didn't even really read the political implications until mm-hmm. you know this was something I found out through you know the commentary or or writings that people have done on it. I just saw it as a really powerful uh, relationship story with horror element. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. It's uh, the like a lot of a lot of uh, possession. Upon my first impression, was that it was it was a uh, a exercise in 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 horror through just heightening like just horror of of like how how like horrific on, on a, just a surface and volume level like the uh, like a relationship's argument can be, and then just keeps upping the ante over and over until 
until the end is like I find uh, kind of a really fastly sour statement where like there's sirens going and it's it's the end of the world and and kids should just go kill themselves in the bathtub because life sucks <laughs> and there's no point and okay man all right you know that I, I like I'm it's the end it, of the the end of their relationship. It's signaling the apocalypse. Right, exactly. Uh, right. It's 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 like seeing the first half of Melancholia and just, just cutting yeah. it a day, you know? I kind of like, like that stuff. But, <laughs> but when it goes to that extreme, I'm like, you know what? There have been times where I, when I've been in a relationship and when it fell apart, it felt like the end of the world. Mm. But the frame... <laughs> in, in my mind. Yeah. yeah. And, uh, well, like, uh, when I first saw it, like, it, I'm... I was taken aback by the fact that you're inserting stuff like the met, like the aliens or monsters and creatures mm-hmm. and so and so on, and you put in even some a little bit of an action movie, which is kind of another Jalowski stock in trade of like occasionally just putting in some some uh, Jackie Chan level like action uh, histrionics. <laughs> like I, I love that you really need to drive that motorbike through like five, 15 blocks and then crash, then crash. Yeah. It's like, yeah. Well, I mean, it looks awesome, right? But but looking at it now, I think a, a cool frame that I use to look at it is the what's going on in possession is kind of like what the um, uh, Cillian Murphy character is going through in Inception. In other words, he has the central emotional trauma, but he's going through these different genres and different pieces in order to go and deal with that. Yeah, so no, that's it, a good point. I mean, so some of the best movies feel like therapy. Well, for, for the director and maybe for the viewer. Yeah, well, right, right to a certain extent, right. It may maybe some of Jalowski's characters are like those um those those mannequins that you make for to represent people who you people yeah. you have animosity for, and then you get to scream and do whatever heap whatever abuse you you mm-hmm. can you can on them, you know. Yeah. Um, uh, but, uh, but, uh, uh, if you, I mean, if you look at it as a way that like, it, especially as, as you guys are elucidating, this is based upon a real life breakup that Jalowski has. Mm-hmm. His way of settling it is to yeah. go and use those tools and the tools they have available in American filmmaking with, to go and like say, it's like, I mean, it's like a monster. It's like the apocalypse, yeah. you know, and, and, and. And those those elements that we are familiar with through the genre ways are used to go illuminate things in a in a per, in a very personal relationship way. I, I think that that makes the film a lot more a lot more like I think resonant and relevant for people for people to check out. It's not just a a shock fest. Uh, one other quick question before we leave the before we leave the possession is that um, Bill, in the opinions of those like um, uh, Zulawski experts that you've uh, talked with, those peop- uh, people who have really enjoyed his work, what did they think of Possession? Do they think it's kind of like just a, a kind of minor work or is it a, one of his top films? Oh, yeah. No, no, everyone, everyone loves it. Um, there are only, I, I don't know anyone that doesn't love Possession that likes Zulawski. I think, I think some might feel Mm-hmm. That there are other films that they prefer that get overshadowed by Possession. Um, that's you know, Possession has a lot of things in its favor in terms of um, it has the horror element, has the English language element, it has better distribution in North America than everything else. So it, uh, up until Cosmos, <laughs> um, but it it has um, yeah no I mean it's it's I think for many people I know it's their gateway in and I think okay I think people always have a sentimental mm-hmm. attachment to it even if they do fall in love with 
other films yeah, of his. Uh, yeah, um, it, that for, seems to be um, the uh, like for the me. It's the my the second favorite. worst one he's done. Whoa! And um, yeah, <laughs> and, and, and because even even with even with the framework, I mean, mm. even with the framework, I I think it was. Um, uh, Is they it just don't too much for you in terms of just? It's uh, well, it get, it's the. The the way the different the way the different genre things connect to the central relationship does not does not come across too much for me and also like I find the non and Johnny performances just get mm. more and more arch and and like and that the the the, char the Heinrich character is is uh, <laughs> is I'm sorry that's to me he's an he's an atrocity he is literally a guy who has absolutely no idea of the central emotional val uh, things that Jalowski is trying to do and he's literally wing it let me just roll down the stairs let me just <laughs> let me just uh, wa wa wave my arms like I'm uh, indicating touchdowns what 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 do I need to do to look crazy in this moment. I'm like he is a I find him a massive turnoff. Um, and and up till that up till a uh, movie that's coming up that was like the one of the worst performances of all time that I've ever seen. Ooh. And 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 I like and I like Dolomite. All right, so um, <laughs> so um, no, I just yeah, I, I mean I can understand that react. I mean like I guess <laughs> I understand any reaction to this movie because it's subjective, but at the same time it's like. <gasps> This is the breakup movie, though. It's just, I mean, mm -hmm. like, it's, it seems to just tap into the darkest side of um, post-traumatic stress and anxiety after dealing with um, what was potentially a self-destructive relationship. And you lack that awareness while in the relationship, and then as it's dissolving, you start to come mm -hmm. to the realization that this was kind of eating me alive. <laughs> and, and, and in this case, it seems very literal, like there's a monster that, uh, you know, is basically the, the version of me I've, I wish I could have been for this person. So, uh -huh. you know, I mean, maybe right. you can make the argument that the, 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 the design of the monster isn't the most original thing in the world or it's just kind of eye-rolling. But I think just in including the monster isn't necessarily um, a bad thing. Because it's just a manifestation of it. I mean, it I mean, just, and this is to me, like, I just say, like, I just think the movie just takes a, a couple more right turns than in, in ter uh, that is that is necessary to enhance that, and it also lacks that kind of pivot of perspective that you would get from, mm -hmm. say, melon from the second half of Melancholia or sure. the second half of Ikiru. Something to say, you know, yes, it's a horrible, painful, agonizing process, but. You know, sometimes oh. the world doesn't actually end, and you have to go and acknowledge and deal with that too. And yeah. that's something not that I do not find evident in 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 possession. But that being said, Bill, if uh, I I'd I want to get you to like the last word, as as in you're such a fan, what is the movie? What makes this put it in a pantheon of films for you? It's a painful film, mm -hmm. but it's it's such it's so alive in the in the telling of it that I just feel. Um, I feel an exhilaration from it. I think that um, I think it's very funny at times. I think it's kind of alarming at times. I think I like the use of the documentary style at one point when she's trying to articulate what's going on, and it's mm -hmm. it's just her her sense of language is breaking down. Um, I think that it's such a uh, it's it's kind of the most beautiful film that gets tagged as a horror film um, in. But I don't. I don't think of horror as a pejorative term to describe a film. But I don't. It's hard to really categorize it. But I think, um, yeah, no, it's a it's a film that 
I don't know. I, I, I don't have a, um, I, I feel like many <laughs> have said better, uh, have said more profound things about it. This is one I get a lot of pleasure from. Uh, I did show it to somebody on a date once and she bought two copies of it for 50 bucks a piece before it was even 40 minutes in. Wow. <laughs> uh, yeah, she was that, into it so, wow. so much. So it definitely is the kind of film that moves people uh, in very extreme ways. Uh, it does actually play the anthology film archives every Valentine's Day alongside <laughs> Modern Romance <laughs> from Albert Brooks oh, and, uh, well, and Morris right Pialat's uh, We Won't Grow Old Together. Oh, n- nice. <laughs> so, yeah, they, they should throw in chilly so. scenes of winter and then that'd be a perfect marathon. Ha- right. Ha- they should. Well, the, you know, the film that it reminds me a lot of is uh, is Nicholas Rogue's Bad Timing. Mm. Um, which um, crazy about, but I should try that one again and they well you don't 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 break Elric Kane's heart because this is his favorite or one of his favorite movies and I know bad he timing. likes bad timing a lot yeah well possession oh no I timing, mean I, think. I, I adore possession it's now one of my favorites but it's yeah I should try bad timing again because I, I, I just didn't have like a strong or I didn't really f- respond to it <laughs> favorably that, that, at the time a, that marathon could and definitely stand to have like blue valentine as the stinger uh-huh yeah, yeah for sure and ajani did win uh, best actress at the Cannes film festival for this if you can imagine possession in a film festival context well <laughs> it's it's kind of like that performance is kind of like transcends like tra- in fact i would feel that it transcends the film itself because mm-hmm. i saw like the clip on youtube and it just apart from out of its own context it goes and like has a has a power to it and a and a just a, a a sense of rawness like that you really feel like she was like touched on there a performance that you really hope she got better after after each take you know yeah it's like she was dancing or it was very operatic and just sort of I watched that and I'm kind of I'm in shock and and in awe and I'm worried but I'm also like like Bill said kind of exhilarated that somebody went to that level of of performance for this rather significant work of art. <laughs> and mm. I, th- I think that, uh, you know, th- the next film, um, La Femme Publique, yes. is mm. yep. almost, I mean, like, to, to me at least, I, I, I kind of got the same uh, sort of exhilaration from this that I did with Possession because it sort of plays with ideas and themes that I kind of always like uh, in cinema, like the Mulholland Drive um, sort of take on what a woman struggles with when it comes to you know identity and tackling uh, fame and just being dominated and kind of having this misogyny surrounding her and how she responds to it and how she uh, sort of embraces her um, femini- femininity. I always have trouble saying that word at first. But yeah, I mean like the the dance sequences in this are pretty pretty spectacular, um, and I'm not just <laughs> sa- I'm not just saying because of yeah. her, her her you know the choice of yeah. her to do this completely naked, but I feel like this film guy is, doesn't even want her to wear shoes <laughs> is is <laughs> really captured for me almost what the neon demon completely failed at with just how a woman goes through so many like a roller coaster of difficulties when it comes to expressing herself as a woman in a certain artistic field.
In this case, it's based off a Dostoevsky uh, novel, like Bill mentioned earlier. And what's funny is, like, I was I was interested in seeing if there were adaptations of Dostoevsky, and then I watched this. I was like, oh, good. I guess I'm kind of watching one um, without knowing it at <laughs> yeah, first. Yeah, yeah. It's an interesting. I mean, it's an interesting question as to how much it ties into the um, uh, ties into Dostoevsky's ori- original story. Yeah. Um. It it this is as also very tied into out uh, to the most important thing is kind of also about a. A, a a girl who's who's like whose day job is doing these particular kind of uh, quote unquote art poses for a studio mm-hmm. who's who's then uh, picked up by a um, a uh, a rambunctious uh, a, uh, d- demanding director to have her star in this uh, in a pe- in a period piece yeah and along the way um, <laughs> along the way they meet up with a um, she also develops another relationship with a literal scenery chewing uh, dishwashing guy with who's uh, also a want to be re- revolutionary <laughs> and uh, and and like and wackiness ensues wackiness <laughs> do, wackiness um wackiness in this room I find it does kind of ensue there are some there are some maniacal um, chases with the when the political people are when the, uh, when political opponents of the of the one character are chasing um, yeah uh, and um, and uh, the photo shoot ones are kind of, they also go in a neon demon direction. That's a great call because they kind of push the envelope on the sense of like, okay, what's really, Is what's really happening? Is this exploitive to some degree? Well, it, well, no, no, no. I take it as that like Jalavsky is giving us exploitation, with, uh, but this time not, not necessarily going and um, not going in like ca- calling our own participation into question. I mean, there's, okay, actu- yeah. there's actually a scene d- after three or four of such like um, artistic quote unquote sessions where, and <laughs> what you had said about the about the girl like uh, like uh, working through her fate. I I wish I felt that way. I kind of felt there there was an interview that Jalowski made that was on the bonus materials where he was talking about. I like this story because it's about two people who use a woman for her own ends, and in the end, she wins by doing nothing, and they both destroy themselves. <laughs> and 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 like and and to that point, there's actually a scene after she's done these sessions, three or four of them, where she's looking at the photographs, which is an entire uh, that this guy yeah. has been making, and they're almost entirely of her crotch, and she is aghast. How could this guy have been? <laughs> and you're like, come on, man. That is a that is a uh, that is naive. a that is a that is a um a giant hook yanking you off stage moment for for mm-hmm. for an audience that that's like right how exactly how naive how naive could you be, um um but Bill how do you find it like this how do you find this like is a, a neon demon like take on the kind of exploitation of females in the performance context? I never thought of it in terms of neon demon because I I. I think of their styles as so completely different uh neon demon i and neon demon i mostly think about the style i almost never think about the message or content of it i mean i love neon demon i more than most people because i think almost everyone else i know really hates it but uh yeah i mean that i like it as as a stylistic exercise um and with la femme publique i think i mean reference film is is so kind of subdued and and, and, and colorful uh, I mean La Femme Publique is colorful but I mean it's so much more explosive I mm-hmm. mean um, this was the first one I saw after being a fan of Possession for many years but I hadn't seen any other films of his and this was 
I mean, this to me is probably a better introduction if you want to get into Zhivovsky mm-hmm. without the, the horror element. Right. Yeah. Um, but um, yeah, no, I, 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 this one has grown on me because I, the first time I saw it, I liked parts of it, but I also, you have to, I think, get used to like the ranting of a lot of Zhivovsky films, mm-hmm. like a lot of the, uh, the shouting and histrionics of it. It, it, does beca- it does become an acquired thing, I think, um, oh, you know, as sure. far as acquired taste. And, um, but this is one that has gotten better for me every time that I've watched it um, in, in a way that it kind of foreshadows uh, Shamanka a little bit, but Shamanka brings back in some of Possession's horror element on top of a La Femme Publique kind of mm. um, energy. But yeah, no, I, I like it a lot. And it's funny because it's, um, we talk about uh, most important things to love and like maybe the reflexive aspects of it. And this one really does have a, it's it's tempting to read uh, Francis Huster, uh, the, uh, the 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 director character, like as a stand-in for Zhuwovsky in terms yeah. of how he directs, because the the, yeah. the the film he's making out of uh, is it Besay the the Dostoevsky novel? It's, I know it's translated as both Demons and the Possessed. I don't know what the right title is, but huh. um, yeah, the but possessed. the um, I think they mention as the Possessed in the movie. I was like, which oh, you, interesting. You, you you have your choice of self-reflective titles from earlier yeah, Zhuwovsky films to in this case, <laughs> yeah. But I mean, it's funny, like just in the same way that Richard III is in uh, in Most Important Thing, it's you know the 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 performances in the thing that we're watching being created are also very Zhuwovsky style <laughs> performances, and you, I mean, it it you, it's tempting to read the way that he turns Valerie Kaprisky into a uh, to a non actress into a great actress just through, you know. I mean, it's obviously it's like the experiences that she goes through over the course of the film that like give her the uh, the weight of character to to come to that place. But it's probably still also kind of an insight into like how he he's working everyone to pitch to everyone to, to into that same kind of extreme pitch. But uh, mm-hmm. yeah, I think I think if you if you're a fan of his, um, you know his his his. Um, like the, the 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 energetic camera and like the uh, you know things like violence breaking out or sex breaking out or all these kind of just these these explo- exploitation elements, but in a very frantic way. I mean, La Femme Publique is is like archetypal Zhivovsky film of you know of that type. I, I think he pushes it further with the film follows, but this one is probably a little bit more. Probably, probably a little bit more approachable. Um, mm, yeah, frantic. and it was I guess, I guess one of his biggest commercial successes also. Well, frantic is definitely a good word for it too. I mean, I, I, I was trying to think of like what are some of the what 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 adjectives haven't I overused yet? But uh, definitely like frantic, I think is is a like even with just the opening and the way she's walking, and it's just literally like okay, we're not really set up much. You're gonna watch her walk mm-hmm. and walk fast, and I think that's again establishing precisely what he's going for pretty much right off the bat. Let's focus on this woman. Let's watch her he's transform. Already, yeah, he's already iconography, uh, iconographizing, if that's a word for her. Because she's cool like, word, Because though. I believe she's literally almost up to the top, from the top of the frame to the bottom. Yeah, yeah, so yeah. It's like, it's a presentation almost akin to like, um, in the way that like Tarantino presents um, uh, Pam Greer and Jackie mm-hmm. Brown. It's like, hey, here's, here's the focus. Here's nice. the focus. Unfortunately, I I mean I think that like yeah I think that he um, I think that um, Jalowski's exploration into objectivity has become self-reflective in the sense that he does and and maybe that interview maybe that interview kind of con- was a con- confirmation bias on my part 
that he does objectify her, but like she's it's she possible, is she sure. is to me she is uh, does not have a tenth of the personality and depth that Romy Scheider does in the most important in the most important thing. Mm. Well, of course they're playing characters at different stages in her lives, and sure. she's a younger character, but she really does. She's. V- I find her incredibly inert in a lot of the sequences. She's reacting to the she's reacting to the mania that the that the director's doing, that the wannabe political revolutionary's doing. Or she's completely shutting down at times. That's right, and she's completely shutting down. and And her performance and and her performance in um at the conclusion is does not. I don't see anything in that performance that, unlike Anjani's performance, possession in possession. I don't find anything about her performance when she's required to perform at the end of, at the end of Fempoblik that you don't get from just really slapping her around for twenty minutes. <laughs> you know, like it's yeah, yeah, she's shocked and she's she's shocked and she's withdrawn. But I don't see any like any uh, um, uh, uh, emotion, uh, further emotions or complexities that are brought out that make her. Compelling I might be projecting aside. some into her. Well, th- I mean that again. This is my, but that's but that's my that's my oh, impression. Sure. But I mean, yeah. I, give me give me Sh- uh, Schneider uh, Shiner's attempt to and 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 I find um, her uh, Shiner's performance on there like there's parts where she's not she is playing an actress who herself is inadequate. So yeah, she yeah. actually has to play. A, a real person who is trying to play another person but not quite working mm-hmm. and I find that she does that really really well I find I find the main character in in la femme publique she's no person in either the play in the movie or the movie itself uh, bills what's what's your impressions on her I mean do you, I mean what do you think she brings off and he she gets called out through the um, director in the movies um, like goading of her I mean I think she's great in the film mm. um, I think that she plays both the the amateur and the uh, experienced actress at the very by the end of the film uh, correctly. I, mean, I I don't have any issues with her performance, and I think that she, I mean, she is. I think she is objectified in the sense that most glamorous actresses in film are objectified. I mean, the camera, you know, it, it photographs her, you know, worshipfully. But I think that the um, I think that the performance is it's a sympathetic character it's 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 maybe she's maybe the least of the of the major Zhuavsky actresses but I feel like that's a really high bar (laughs) because I think that all of them uh are are kind of of a caliber that puts most actresses kind of to shame in most as far as like the the uh just the watchability and uh excitement that they bring um and i i think that i i i mean he he works with talented people so i'm not going to give all the credit to Zhuavsky, but i think that he's definitely got a, a knack with actresses that you know th- it's a consistent quality in, in his entire filmography are great performances from actresses uh and i i do think that kaprisky uh lives up to that reputation for me i mean i you know obviously if you don't agree that you know it's objective but i i think that she's perfectly uh, strong in it. Yeah. Mm. The it, it leads to an interesting an interesting point in that like um, I at least that from uh, like from my perspective you know it maybe that like because I have respond I respond like the most to the di- to certain characters in Jalowski films and one is which is Shiner's character in Most Important Thing and one of which is Anjani's level of I feel her level of desperation in a way I don't feel for Sam Neill. And to one extent, I wonder how much of it is in fact that like these guys, that these are actually beautiful actresses that have this kind of radiance on screen mm. that makes me more willing to engage. 
engage on it. I just want to uh, acknowledge that as a possible as a possible kind of influ- as an influence. Yeah. You know, it kind of remi- uh, that's a very quick tangent is like this. I kind of have a pet theory about like how everyone's been like everyone's been mind uh, 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 mind controlled to regard uh, Scarlett Johansson because Scarlett Johansson put out a performance in her which was magnificent. And but Scar- she's not really that well known for putting out that level of performance. Mm-hmm. To which my pet theory is is that, but you don't get to look at Scarlett Johansson, so you're not distracted. <laughs> well, you know, under the maybe skin, she's been doing. I think she's ma- strong in that. Right? Maybe she does like maybe she does like great performances all along, but just people haven't been noticing. You know? Yeah. Like it's a distraction. Her beauty might be a distraction. Yeah. To some. Yeah. And um, I think that's. I think under the skin is kind of commenting on that. <laughs> To yes. Some yeah. yeah, and um, and by the way, Under the Skin is also a pretty good, um, pretty good companion piece to um, Possession in the sense of a person who brings in uh, would-be suitors into an environment where they're dispatched, mm. you know, and what the reasons are for and what the reasons are for that. That's yeah. an, I think I think that's an interesting uh, an interesting connection. Speaking of distractions, you have <laughs> what I find. I uh, saw the opening for the next film. Well, you got it. Uh, Lamor Lamor Brock out uh, in in 1985 um, a a story a story based upon um, uh, ostensibly based upon Dostoevsky's uh, The Idiot. Um, it's a tale of like four incredibly rambunctious um, bank robbers who, in the midst of one of their crime sprees, managed to abduct a uh, a, a young girl who's been, uh, been put to use by a gangster uh, gangster community uh, played by a very young Sophie Marceau, and they also befriend on a train ride a um, a Hungarian person stricken with. Um, uh, at least stricken in the original uh, Dostoevsky book with uh, epileptic seizures, which is a very cute way of justifying a lot of the things that he does in the movie, <laughs> and um, and the and the film chronicles their uh, chronicles their like um, the um, the adventures that these four have with this with this guy, and they form and the relationship that the head of that the head um, gangster forms with the forms with the Sophie Marceau character and with the um, their new Hungarian uh, their new Hungarian friend um, this is um, uh, <laughs> if Zhilevsky want, ever wanted to make lock stock and smoking barrels he could he, he may have <laughs> effectively tried to do do that here it's it's uh, I find pretty much every five minutes of this movie is uh, you've seen stuff where you've never uh, uh, thought you'd encounter it in your life and um, a lot of it you necessarily wouldn't necessarily want to do that but uh, Bills what's your impressions on it? I love this one okay. uh, and this is one that I didn't love the first time I saw it I I, I liked it but it's overwhelming it's it's uh, yeah it, it overwhelmed me just with the opening <laughs> yeah <laughs> that's yeah, so it's, it's pretty it's, intense it's, I, I I know that um, I know that Daniel Bird has called this maybe the most extreme Zhivovsky film, and I kind of agree with him. It, it definitely is the one that is the most over the top. Mm. Um, it's funny. I um, 
when I saw the Dark Knight, I, the uh, opening <laughs> of that reminded me of the opening of Lamore Brock, and I yeah. don't know that Nolan would have been referencing the uh, the Disney mask bank robbery from uh, the beginning of this one. It w- it's yeah. also contemporary with Point to bar- uh, Point, Point Break. Point Break. <laughs> oh yeah, well, it, and and uh, this one, and 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 since you mentioned the. Uh, the character with epilepsy the uh that's the same actor who plays the director in the last film the femme publique uh, oh. francis hooster mm-hmm. um yeah no i think this one i think um i love the look of it the um it's got the uh i know it gets grouped in with the film du look movement which is the um the kind of the very stylish uh neon drenched 80s cinema of jean-jacques benix like diva and uh uh, Luc Besson, like Subway, and uh, later on the uh, La Femme Nikita, um, like that kind of uh, almost graphic novel influenced kind of aesthetic. Mm. Um, but it's it's the kind of film where I, the, the, I rewatching it for this uh, podcast, I just found this to be the the best uh, rediscovery of the whole filmography. Um, I think I always underrated it because. For whatever reason, I mean, it is a it is an overwhelming film to sit through the first time, especially. Um, well, okay. But, hmm. but I but I think that um, yeah, I, I I I find it so exciting. I I I think it's just got such great energy to it. It's 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 sexy in an interesting way, and it's it's it's. Um, I think the performances are all really strong. I love uh, Sophie Marceau and uh, what she brings. I think it's maybe her best performance for him. Um, hmm. And uh, yeah, no, it's. Well, I, I, it sounds like you disagree. So let me hear what you have to say. Well, like uh, it's interesting that you bring. Okay, <laughs> it's interesting that you bring up like um, that uh, Dark Knight. That's a <laughs> the Dark Knight was a um, uh, in that opening sequence because this is this to me is Jalowski's Batman and Robin. It's Ooh. like it is. This is Jalowski going out all out to go and. Um, um, pre- uh, present things in his most, yeah, it's it's in his most random, incoherent. Put your put uh, put your pedal to the accelerator and then tie a brick to the accelerator until the truck falls off the pier. Level of 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 his filmmaking style. Like I didn't find like not uh, like things don't make things in this movie do not make sense to me on a sentence by sentence level. And and it seems um, that like the characters behave in a manner that is um, l- that they're literally going through a checklist for what kind of uh, what kind of atrocious uh, genre bending that uh, um, or behavior uh, like inappropriate behavior uh, you could do. Kind of like if you just gave a crystal mess to Borat and like let him loose for two hours. Um, it uh, uh, I, and and on top of all that, it actually uh, there's a there's a particular case in Jalowski's where he has certain characters who like go even beyond characters like the the main characters in the movie. Obviously the the um, uh, the mysterious figure in the devil for one, and um, and in um, La Femme Publique there's a there's a little um, there's a little guy there's a, a smaller guy who has a Larry Fine hairdo who is constantly like ranting in the background when the director is uh, making his uh, making his shots, but. But uh, Lamor Brock has two such pe- uh, people: a character who is just maniacally laughing um, uh, at at all times, and uh, and then and and a guy who is maniacally dancing at all times and has a cross on his head for some reason. <laughs> and uh, and 
<laughs> there is, you know, sometimes you get in a movie like where you just go, oh, come the fuck on. Like where you just get an image where you're just, where at least for some people, my like, and uh, your mind rebels and just goes, okay, man, you're just winging it. And there's like at least 15 kind of sequences in, this, in the movie for me. Like my personal favorite of that is when a guy's just eating spaghetti in the middle of the street while he's taking his shoe off. And I'm just, okay, <laughs> okay, Zhilovsky, you need nap time and so on. That's... That's my impression on on Lamor Brock. I mean, I if if and if you guys see if you have more if there's more going on in there, I'd love to hear it, Bill. The uh, the story I find in, in, engaging. I find the uh, the performance of the uh, when the the seagull the uh, the Chekhov is performed and uh, the, uh, the like performance. Yeah, no, I I I don't know. I mean, I. I, I don't know have a, if I have a really strong argument because it's a hard film for me to talk about, but it's it's a really hmm. uh, yeah. Well, I I can tell. Look, I can say with regards on the seagull is that like this does look like a continuing theme on Jalowski is the reflectivity on performance and and the the events that happen during the there's there's an importance placed on the events of the seagull like that that reflect on the events that the characters have really gone through in a, in a, in a notable, in a notable, interesting, it, 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 there's interesting ways of th- to think about it, you know, but I mean, uh, but in the meantime, you have like, um, uh, uh, gangsters getting out of their ho- hospital beds and zombie like chasing after people down flights of stairs. And I mean, okay, man, <laughs> once again, the movie, the, the, when the movie tr- uh, almost has me, the movie loses me over and over again. <laughs> Um, that's the impression I got. I, I, I mean, again, it's like I, I need to watch the whole thing at some point. But I was like, I don't know if my, I, again, I also felt this way about the third part of the night initially. Was like, I don't know if I'm ready for this. This might be too much. Uh, so I'm gonna wait on this one. And I think, I don't know. I'll, I'll, I'll give it a try. Yeah, because I, I certainly like the majority of what I've seen. And one other thing I want, one other thing that I kind of want to point to is that like. I'm not. I'm not against insanity in films. I'm not. I'm not even against in like incoherence in films, if that's part of the point of what the movie or the director is, sure. is trying to do. And I will give. A, there was a little bit in the beginning that I really, really liked about that. I really, really liked a direction it was going because while these guys are robbing the banks, they are actually doing these kind of. They're they're moving in a way that evokes dance or ballet. Ballet, yeah. And for sure. and when they when they get their um when they uh, get their money and additionally like there there's a t- there's a cool move where the money is contained in garbage bags and actually never leaves the garbage bags <laughs> to kind of really show like the ultimate macguffinizing of the the robbery and then they're they're dancing they literally are dancing in sequence in fact they even like do a workout sequence at the beginning of oh, the sure, yeah. so so it's kind of like like if Gene Kelly wanted to make the the most rock and sockin version of uh, of singing in the rain the 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 bank robbery version like the Vincent Minnelli bank robbery, you know. Sure. If they kept at that angle, like um, that, I would have loved. I'd love to, to explore that, explore mm-hmm. different things about that, and jump in upon and vary the range on that, you know. Sure. But, uh, but like I was saying about like, um, but like I was how I was saying, possession was like take three left turns too many. Like this is this is a descent down some stairs of an Escher drawing too many for me.
I, I want to jump in on, on for like this, his next film because his next film is a level is is a level where his his um uh, activity and his his ambition just it really works for me even though the film itself did not get finished. <laughs> it's is this, is this it's on the Silver fiction, Globe. His yes. science fiction film. That's right. His science, uh, unless you want to consider all of his films science fiction, um, which I, I, I wouldn't, but uh, but like uh, on the Silver Globe in, 19, in, in 1988, mostly in 1988, mm. um, it was, it was, I say mostly because when the film was about um, 80% completed, the Polish government who was helping fund it shut it down and furthermore, went to destroy the props and sets of the what? movie. Wow. Yeah. Through the like heroic efforts of like of uh, Zhilevsky's crew and uh, like they managed to save a lot uh, they saved huh. a lot of those details like in their homes and so on and there was even a case where the ne- one of the negative films negatives of the film was literally sitting in a hallway of a studio for years wow. before someone recognized it as such. Um, uh, and like, ba- and the basic story involves like um, three astronauts that that land on a that, uh, that land on a planet, and they um, uh, they are there for their uh, they're there for their entire lives through which they manage to like um, um, bring upon like a whole group a whole colony of people, hmm. and um, and uh, who seem to like grow at kind of an accelerated rate, and. Uh, one of the original astronauts remains, and then he sends a message back to his. He sends a message back to Earth, that and and then decades later, uh, uh, one astronaut comes in, and he's recognized by the now by the throng of people who are there as a messiah who will save them from these uh, from the from creatures who live on the planet who have now oppressed them, and th- this is. This is uh, um, uh, to me just like I'm. I'm really stunned by this particular picture because the 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 sheer level of ambition involved on it. Imagine like the level of dedication that like say Serge Leone puts in his films or Camino put in like Heaven's Gate, but on what looks to be a budget of ten thousand dollars. It is impressive. he does. Jalaski does so much using basic sets of like a, of like a beach and a cave and a and a near and a nearby town to make a strange otherworldly atmosphere and hmm. feel out the passage of time through like uses of like through uses of like difference of like different kinds of makeup and tribal designs on people's on people's bodies he goes and like manages to put out a put out like a whole sense of a world that had existed out there and and Spe- and all this with uh, barely, barely any special effects. I'm, I am, huh. like, ju- and the sheer, like, again, the ambition just like blows me away. Uh, what do you guys think? I think it's. This is a tricky one because I think that it's close to being a masterpiece, but it's the least accessible film, along with unless unless you have an aversion to. Opera, because Boris Goodenough would then be the most uh, inaccessible. But yeah, it's um, it has the most st- number of striking images. Uh, it it it's a really dense film. It's it's uh, it's longer than most. It's probably more frustrating um, in the structure because the uh, 
you know, the way that that they have to handle the missing scenes by uh, describing what was uh, hmm. not filmed or what was lost. Um, so it's it's jolting you back into these uh, these present day urban uh, situations, which then jarringly throw you back into these caves and beaches and uh, d- different different world. Um, I, but I've seen it twice on the big screen, and it's, o- it's overwhelming. Uh, in mm-hmm. the best, way. I know f- I know few people that are Zhivovsky fans that can't stand this one. Oh, um, but I I think um, I don't. Did you ever see Alexei German's Hard to Be a God? I have not, but I really would, really, really would like to. It's it reminds me a little bit of that. Um, and uh, in, in in superficial ways, also because it it deals with a um, like a contemporary astronaut being treated like a deity by uh, a society that's essentially like a more uh, like a, like a more uh, primitive uh, you know uh, mankind. Um, it's yeah, I, I think that it's and it's also maybe one of the more uh, disturbing uh, in terms of the violence with the um, yes. Like the the impaled Christ-like figure at one point, it's um, it's it's one that I don't return to as readily for entertainment as other Zhivovsky films. Uh, it's it's I find this one to be uh, the the one I have to be in the right frame of mind for, and I and that's as someone that likes Lamor Brock and the Devil and you know all the ones that are um, you know dark or wild. Like this one is is the heaviest for me to get through but mm-hmm. i i appreciate it um i i think the i just i i get impressed by the ambition and daring of it and but also just by the uh the, like the use of the glue the blue uh color palette to establish oh i like uh, blue the, <laughs> yeah i mean it's huh. uh, and we should we should probably say that it's based on the first two books of uh, a trilogy by his great uncle uh Yerzy oh. Uh, the first two books of his Lunar Trilogy, which I guess was an influence, literary influence on maybe, I think, Stanislav Lem? Like, uh, it, mm. it, like it was an established uh, literary work as far as uh, the science fiction Yeah, and they uh, were genre, pretty, if I remember correctly, I think they're pretty early works as well, like 1910, 1913, kind, uh, kind yeah, of. Yeah, I, so, I don't know the year, but that could be right. R- yeah, r- um, right at the Jules Verne, H.G. Wells era, perhaps. Oh. Um, Let me ask you... Th- let me ask you this, Al. Why do you think that this was shut down by the government? Um, I think that I think that it was I think that it was shut down on the government because it kind uh, because it there's a little bit of a heaven a little bit of a heaven's gate connection because it did go it did go over budget, even though said budget was a paltry compared to what uh, what was spent on what was spent on heaven's gate. It still was going on too long and taking up and taking up too much money that they just were like and then. There's also the aspect that when you that like you said it's very it's its subjects are so harsh and heavy that like when you if you're trying to look at different 10 minute or 20 minute sections of it and you see well where where is this going is uh, might might be something which would give like a, a like the funding like funding pause to it and then these subjects also just deal on the level of society the uh, uh, the idea of where how pe- how people pick their idols and pick their leaders and and it's it's right. very very it's very critical on a kind of on a kind of elemental level like something something on the level that like Leviathan does in the sense of saying man every societal structure is suspect 
built upon like the most basest in- impulses of like of desperation and, and, and want, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And and so like I think that any society who looks at that and like thinks if people get that message, that's not a message you'd want you'd want to promote, you know? Um that being said, the, I th- yeah, go sorry, go ahead, Bill. I was gonna say, because I I mean the way that it it, it tackles uh, religion or the way that it tackles um, I know that uh, Sam Deegan wrote about like the uh, depiction of a utopian society and and the failure of it and and how that could be maybe uh, taken uh, badly by by the Communist Party at the time um, mm-hmm. the, I, I don't know if it was shut down for political reasons I, I that seems to be my understanding not so much that uh, I mean, maybe it was the budget. Maybe it was the Heaven's Gate thing, but it was so close to completion. It just seems a perverse thing to shut it down at that stage and not recoup on the investment. Mm-hmm. Right. It, it was like, well, I mean, it was at the at the at its running length. It's already two. It was already two and a half hours. So, like the idea of recouping investment starts to get in on the on the sense of the running time and and the sense of having to edit. Like one thing when you look on this movie. Like it's a little tough to question. What do you cut? <laughs> do you do you, yeah. do, you well, do you cut this what, big big violence sequence or that that one? You know. Yeah. Well, and this is the film that led to. I mean, as much as the uh, the, the breakdown of the marriage uh, prompted possession, I think also the frustration and rage of having this yes. work uh, yeah. really destroyed by the by you know by the uh, taken away you know and. It, and, and after the devil had been kind of suppressed also, I think there was a lot of anger that, you know, feeds into possession, mm-hmm. um, even though on the Silver Globe chronologically, you know, ultimately finds release later. I, it's still a pre-possession work. I mean, the majority of it. Mm-hmm. Um, and it, it feels like it has that same level of uh, of horror at times i mean it's it's a it's it's a striking film visually but it's also it's it's very much rooted in pulp genre kind of uh territory uh, in a way that um it, it fits neatly together with things like the devil in possession in that way but it yes. is it is a uh <laughs> i mean if you if you get exhausted by like the ranting of of characters in in uh Zhivovsky, i mean this one has a lot of that um, right and it, it, uh, it's 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 a it's oppressive in a way that I wouldn't say uh, the other films are. Yes, it is a oh. right. It is it is a pri- it is a two and a half hour uh, wi- uh, primal scream. Like and and I think it's I think that it's a, it's a great use of Jalaski's uh, mania in his directing style. It is I think this is a case where another case where the setting fits like fits what he's trying to do in a very interesting way. Like the like his style and possession is done to show like the heightened emotions of a breakup and and like and the and in Devil to use the heightened sense of loss of desolation of a whole country. And this is the like this is like human. This seems like the loss and desolation and lack of purpose from humanity itself, mm-hmm. and so that level of 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 anger and anger and wit and and um and uh, depression and 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 all these real heightened things are like that's what happens when you lay the field clear when you say there's not you know the rules on society and and human behavior have all washed away. What do you have left but the howling winds of people's own own impulses? 
And I want to say that in a kind of a nice miracle, the fact that like the film was unfinished may be actually to its benefit because those moments when Jalowski is filming, he, he isn't just narrating or giving a title card. He's showing contemporary society. And that actually does, number one, gives an additional context because we as an audience can get to compare huh. modern society with the kind of futuristic desolation that we're watching. And it gives us as an audience room to breathe and to just contemplate about what you contemplate upon what you see, I wouldn't say it, he does it regularly enough to give a good rhythm, but it's enough for giving enough for giving an audience a, a chance to step back to further dive in. Whereas if the original yeah. cut was all that, that would be a really really tough be a nine no. hour movie. Yeah. So <laughs> yes. In, so. In, in in a way, it, I I I think there might have even been a comparison. Like if Hodorowski had made his Dune, <laughs> this yes. you know feels like. This feels like that. Like if you took someone that had that kind of mania and gave them yes. their big budget sci-fi epic, um, and it's funny because we talk about you know you talk about the breaks, uh, the breathing room, but but you know the the contemporary footage of Zhuwovsky talking about what scenes are missing, and um, that kind of distancing. I mean, we t- I think La Femme Publique has all the the. Uh, the filmmaking apparatus like the equipment around in the shots and even yes. when the film the, f- the filmmakers in the film take a bow then Zhuavsky and the actual crew take a bow after them like the curtain call at the end that's right um, like reminding you that you're watching a film um, the film well one of the films that's following uh, on the Silver Globe is Boris Gudunov I don't have too much to say about it because it's hard for me to talk about uh, Russian opera, but I would say that the, the this one of the distinguishing characteristics of that is that there's constantly including the cameras and lighting and things like the the crew is in the shots a lot of times. Like it's reminding you that huh. you're watching a filmed opera. Like all these, um, yeah, these these fourth wall breaking kind hmm. of moments. It's kind of a, um, a it's a really like uh, it kind of reminds me from back in or slightly earlier podcast uh, that uh, me and Brad did on Jacques Tati like that was kind of one of the tricks that was used in Tati's parade where you actually see the sets being created just mm. in the same frame as the acts of the performers. Yeah, or Vanya on 42nd Street where they, the actors are kind of addressing the fact, hey, we're going to be in a play. Yeah. Let's do this play now. Yeah, yeah. And I, I would just say like, you know, it, it, like you're so right, Bill. It's like it's Dune. It's like the I, the Dune. John Rowski's Dune is the dream, but but like um, uh, on a silver globe, is this really tantalizing look at what how somebody with like with the kind of ambitions of Jodorowsky, the creativity of Jodorowsky, but the budget of Jodorowsky's gardener is able to make, like, is able to get so close to his vision. And it also is such a great signature that, like, from an effort that didn't quite fully succeed, to have that that ending sequence is such a great capstone when Jodorowsky appears in a reflection and says, I'm a... I am Andrew Jalowski, the director of it. Oh. You know, it's kind it's, of it's a heartbreaking. It's a heartbreaking yes. ending too. I think that it was very painful hmm. for him to talk about that film because, um, I think I think with directors that have a goal that isn't met, uh, even if you love that film, um, and that film is recognized, it it still will always read as. Uh, a major catastrophe to them because they couldn't get uh, the film that they wanted. Like something like *Lamour Brock*, which you and I can, you know, disagree on it. But that that film was Zhuwovsky, one of his th- things he was most content with. I think, as mm-hmm. far as like, it's exactly the film he had set out to make. I think with *On the Silver Globe*, which 
has definitely has its champions. I know Jay Hoberman thought it was a masterpiece, and Mike D'Angelo uh, w- takes the other <laughs> uh, As takes the other does. side of that argument. <laughs> yeah, but I mean, but that's a film that I, I could even if it's not one of the ones I return to the most for pleasure. I can understand the argument for it being his masterpiece, but it definitely feels the most <laughs> like a like a mad vision, and some people just. That's always mm. going to be attractive. Just it, like s- someone that tried to do something really yeah. that had never been done. Um, right. If you're going to like but, have that level of direction, that level of pushing everybody to a limit, why not use it to explain the most basic questions that we have been trying to ask ourselves since the prime uh, primate level? Mm-hmm. And 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 in a ironically, in a very cosmic way, it's. Uh, I'm glad that it got in the kind of altered format it is because. Jalaska's appearance at the end to me is like this just amazing, melancholy, sen- regretful, but as stunning as like Wells' appearance in The Third Man in terms of like a sudden appearance that really puts the thing in perspective. For I think all directors should do that, man. When I met Joe Dante and I mentioned how much I loved Explorers, he kind of went, oh, yeah, well. <laughs> I think now there should be an ending with Joe Dante at the end of Explorers saying, hey guys, this wasn't the movie I wanted it to be. Right. (laughs) And Dante is the kind of guy who would put in other directors in his own films. Oh, sure. He's very, very generous that way. My nights oh, and my are nights more are. beautiful than your days, which opens with this like, like stroboscope frenzy of just these different colors, and it's about this uh, computer programmer who, uh, I guess, he's watch he's he's viewing X-rays of his own brain and learns about this mysterious condition that he's that he's that he has, mm-hmm. and um, he has this very strange relationship with. Uh, Sophie Marceau, who is this uh, medium and kind of, uh, yeah, she does this like in a nightclub, and they have a really interesting chemistry together. So this kind of goes back to uh, the more, I guess, I didn't see the um, the most important thing is to love, but it's, I guess it would be similar to that where it's very focused on the love story component, and uh, it's, it's very radiant. It's very kind of um, a little bit more accessible than some of his other films. Well, it's interesting because it's 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 kind of like a romantic comedy in place, yeah. a romantic farce, but it has this melancholy undercurrent because it's about a man who's dying. Um, and it's interesting because the, the, the character, you think about it, is it Jacques Dutronc, the character he's playing, he has like this condition in his brain that is going to erase his his grasp on language before it ultimately kills him. Mm -hmm. And so what he's doing throughout the film, and this is not maybe always clear on a first watch, um, is that he's talking constantly to keep his mind uh, active enough to retain the words that Mm. are in his brain. So it's a film of constant wordplay and word games and rhyming. And in a way, it kind of foreshadows the language uh, usage in Cosmos, I exactly. guess. Exactly. And I kind of really like that. I really like it when 
Because, I mean, I'm not really, like, huge into linguistics, but it was a college course that I took that I didn't entirely grasp at times but still found very interesting. Like, where does our language derive from? And how is it manipulated or how is it used? And in what context does that change? And why is it like this in one country versus another culture? And it almost like this movie kind of has, like, a Pygmalion quality to it in, in an interesting it's- way. It's funny that you say that because Pygmalion is something I know. I know Sam Deegan mentions uh, as as a recurring theme in a lot of his films. I mean, you know, we talk about uh, La Femme Publique. We sure. talk about a few of them, but um, we, I mentioned Bad Timing earlier, and Bad Timing is the film where Nicholas Rogue uh, met the actress Teresa Russell and. Uh fell madly in love with this younger actress and then cast her in most of the films that followed for a good number of years and it's tempting to read um, the the men how they relate to her characters as you know Rogue working out his relationship on screen with Teresa Russell the Sophie Marceau films feel similar that way and it's yeah. tempting to look at the relationships that she has in uh, My Nights Are More Beautiful Than Your Days and The Blue Note and Fidelity as as uh, Zhuavsky working out his feelings on that relationship. I get a very personal autobiographical quality too. I mean, like anytime a relationship is portrayed that's very uh, naked, um, <laughs> literally, I mean, there's a, a very memorable central sex scene in here that isn't really about the sex. It's It's kind of about them playing off of one another and it's yeah it's it's one of those sex scenes that is has a really deeper more interesting context about how they connect and um like there's this irisec i'm trying to think of the word like kind of uh a, a difficulty with with them that you know is bittersweet but it's you know there's there's a little bit of uh of a disconnect because obviously He's going through uh, a regression when it comes to language, and you know, at, at one point, like she yells out, "That's my word!" and you know, she's expecting like this formulation to be something that she can adopt, and he's trying to, like you mentioned, retain everything that he can and hold on to the syntax that he has. Uh, but it's it's like the, the his, his disintegration of language is kind of reflected in the disintegration of their relationship. Yeah, no, it's but does it disintegrate because it has them, it it, ha, it has them not parting at the. I mean, that's it, true. I don't, yeah. spoil, yeah. I don't know if we spoil the ending to this film or not. It's not a widely seen film. Um, it's but, unexpectedly, uh, um, n- not like a lot of his other films, and how it yeah. resolves itself. Yeah, I don't know if I want to spoil the ending for this one because it's not that widely seen. <laughs> right? But, no, um, we don't have to. It's okay. Yeah, but it, but it is a. Uh, is it is one of the the sweeter, more charming films overall, even with the melancholy aspects to it. Um, Boris uh, Godunov is the uh, is the Russian opera that he uh, directed after this. Um, it's uh, not a film I can say a whole lot about. It's Mussorgsky, I think, is the name of the composer. He's the uh, best known for uh, Night on Bald Mountain, which you might remember from Fantasia if you ever saw that as a kid. Mm-hmm. Um, but um, but like I said earlier, it, uh, it 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 breaks the fourth wall often, and it uh, it's 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 very Zhuavsky. I mean, it, it for for a staged opera, it still has the kind of camera work and color and 
acting behavior. Uh, it's got a, it's got a fair amount of nudity to it. It's got a, f- a fair amount of eating in it. It's got a. Uh, <laughs> I don't. I'm not someone that feels comfortable using terms like revelation, you know. I don't, but it, but it has like this sense of like um, of 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 the human body and 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 feasting and celebration, and it, it, it's a um, I don't know. I, I it's it's a film that is maybe the hardest one for me to talk about because it's it's not an easy narrative for me to follow. I don't know the history so well behind the the opera, but mm-hmm. it's visually compelling and uh, quite. Um, unique even in the film biography of of, of Zhivovsky. Uh the blue note follows that and it's a um based on the relationship <laughs> between the Polish composer uh Chopin and the French novelist George Sand. Um this one almost reminds me a little bit of some of the uh Ken Russell uh composer uh, biogra- biography films of the 70s. Mm-hmm. Hmm. Uh, it's like very visually attractive film. It's very sexy. Um, it has another uh, brilliant, dying, slightly older man falling for Sophie Marceau. Uh, but it's, it's in a way, it almost uh, foreshadows Cosmos also in that it's like a, uh, a household full of eccentric characters and quite oh, funny. Yeah. And it like. doesn't have... It doesn't have... Um, like the same darkness to it that you might associate with Zhivovsky if you know him from you know Silver Globe or Possession or whatever but it's a uh, it, they, it, he uses a non-actor in the part of uh, Chopin uh, guy uh, Janusz Olinach uh, is it uh, Olinichaka um, Olinichaka yeah and he's <laughs> do, you, do you know it? No. Do you know him? No, I just uh, have a little better uh, pronunciation being uh, ending with having a Kwiatkowski last name. <laughs> oh, yeah, I guess that's true. Yeah, well, he um, he's a, uh, a, a real-life uh, p- pianist and uh, expert on Chopin, and he plays uh, the, the, the parts for real on camera. Hmm. Uh, so it gives it a sense of... Um, you get a better sense of authenticity, uh, you know, in terms of the musical side of it. But it's uh, it's... It's a terrific film and very uh, lovely to look at. And uh, it just came out on Blu-ray finally in the U.S. through MondoVision. So it, it is available finally in home video for English language uh, viewers. Um, if you if you want to see it, I, I you know, it's, it's finally available. I think it's really um, maybe the most underrated film in, in the canon. But um, you haven't cool. seen it, so I won't go too much further cool. on it. Uh, Shamanka yeah. is, is the one that follows that. And Shamanka is one of my... Uh, one of my very favorites. It's it's um, so that's it's his return to Poland after making you know the uh, the last few films in in France and um, it it kind of combines the feel of something like La Femme Publique with like the um, like the wilder extremes of horror of something like Possession. It's not quite as much a horror film, I guess, but it does have. Um, and I won't spoil them since you both haven't seen it, but it has memorable horror uh, aspects to it. It's about a, um, it's it's about a, a, a an archaeologist. Uh, well, a, a, an arch, arch, is it arch, I guess archaeologist. Uh, he's he's a professor though. Uh, he, um, he unco- they uncovers a, uh, a, a the corpse of a <laughs> uh, of a shaman and is investigating this uh, this body of 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 a, of a shaman of a mummy, I guess, and. Um, mm. But he encounters, he encounters this young woman uh, who's only known as the Italian, although she's not Italian. It's a nickname, but she's <laughs> like this. She's like this. Um, I mean, 
she she's meant to be a, a a human character. I mean, she's not supposed to be a supernatural character, but her behavior is almost like an animal at times. It's hard to explain. It, it she she's coming from lower class origins um so it, some of her behavior i guess is meant to be seen as kind of like a maybe like a rube in an urban setting but it's it's it it's the closest to a johnny in terms of um an extreme performance and she's like she's someone that like is a disruptive force like she acts um she, she'll she'll break up conversations she'll she'll dance wildly at parties she'll show up in class and kind of suck on the glass of one of the uh, displays behind the classroom. She's she's almost like a, uh, I mean, she's one of the least naturalistic characters, but in an interesting uh, interesting way. I don't know how to quite sum her up without you having seen it, but it's a really powerful, unusual sexual performance. Um, I, I've seen comparisons to the film with... Um, to Last Tango in Paris, and it has some superficial connection in that there's kind of a rough sexual encounter that links them at the very beginning, and then it becomes a case where they are kind of romantically obsessive about one another. But it it ends it ends in ways that I don't want to spoil, um, but that might be reminiscent of something like Possession. But it's I know some people think it's kind of a flawed film, um, but it's it has the it's it's one of the last films that really feels like it has the kind of rage of the earlier uh, Zhivovsky films, because uh-huh. um, the Sophie Marceau films don't have that quality. I don't think um, maybe mm-hmm. Lamour Brock has some of that energy, but they don't have the quite kind of same uh, darkness. Maybe sure, um, it, but hmm. but. Yeah, I, 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 I really recommend you check out Shamanka, um, and that is available on DVD through Mondo Vision. And uh, yeah, no, but that's that takes you up to Fidelity. Yes, um, I, uh, Bill, that's a really, um, a really cool um, uh, description on this character. To to me, it kind of evokes. Maybe she's kind of like a feminine compatriot to the um, mysterious figure who made his entrance in the Devil, you know, and because it also calls into question which also calls into question whether something's quote-unquote really happening in a kind of human way or if there's something metaphysical going on. True. Yeah, well, she's not, she doesn't come across as calculating as the character in The Devil. She comes across like a mixture of a... Uh, <laughs> like a puppy, an alien, and a porno star. <laughs> like, <laughs> wow, that's, that's a great combination. <laughs> oh my gosh! Because that, that, because that. because she is so exuberant and playful and jumping up and down and uh, like she gets down on all fours and like eats out of the refrigerator like an animal. Like she, it goes beyond being un uncivilized into something more like a wild animal. Mm. But she's not. I mean, she has a past, like she has a family, she has other lovers, like she does not have, like she doesn't come from nowhere, but she she feels the most alien of of any of the Zhuavsky women. Okay, that's, um, she that, feels she feels the most pure id of of any of them, and which is why maybe it reminds, it's reminiscent of Ajani's character in possession at at her most unhinged, but it doesn't have. I, I don't know. It's it, it, it's it, it's in a different way. Like it, I, I don't I don't. It's hard to really compare anything to Ajani's performance, but it's it's similar kind of energy, and it's it's 
I mean, I think she was 19 or 20 when she made Shamanka. Like she has, she has, she was, she was, I think it's her first, it might be her only, I think it's her only starring role in a film. Mm. But I mean, she, she's somebody that didn't take, you talk about Ajani being uh, potentially harmed by the experience of acting in possession. I think uh, Ivana Petri, uh, she, she took to all of the attention much less well mm. than, than, uh, than Ajani. Ajani was already a major star and was uh, honored with awards. I think Poland did not know how to handle Shamanka. I think it made some money, but I think critics were accusing him of self-parody and um, you know, it, it was controversial and it, it mm. it's a rough film in places because um, the the male lead uh, uh, is it Bogoslav uh, Landa? I, I might be mispronouncing his name too, but he was, I guess, kind of like a um, almost like a Harrison Ford type action hero, big star in Poland, and I mm. think it might be uncomfortable seeing him playing such a um, like a chauvinistic character at times. Like he treats her very roughly, but in at, in you know before ultimately succumbing to her. Um, in, in in ways that like might remind you of La Femme Publique in the way that the director in that is kind of a harsh character but yeah. ultimately is weak by the end mm-hmm. um, and, and there's shots that evoke uh, La Femme Publique with the way that she's framed walking from the left side of the screen to the right side of the screen in a very determined way okay but, I uh, love that stuff <laughs> yeah I don't know yeah, what it, it, but it just exudes confidence from a woman and so. it and it does like hearken to um and it doesn't hark and it does hearken to this whole idea that like the that while we can feel respond to the to women in their situation in these films oftentimes the mark of judgment casts aspersions and mm-hmm. damages them in a way that it doesn't do the male actors aka like Maria Schneider's performance in last tango, tango like, or Shelley Duvall in the shining ex- exact exactly yeah. right now but the Elizabeth idea. Berkeley and Showgirls too, right? Mm-hmm. But yeah, that whole idea Which, of like people, yeah. yes, the people's portrayal in like the in the public eye is just kind of a focus where he, like, I guess maybe as a, a bit of a reaction to Shamanka, like, like mm-hmm. Jalowski, I feel take a step back, like in his next film, Fidelity, in in two thousand, which was I so I believe kind of a swan song for his relationship with Sophie Marceau, or they may have broken up soon afterwards. Where's the justice? It features Marceau as a photographer who, uh, who is um, who is finds finds that a um, member of a uh, of a, um, a kind of a um, rich family who were being bought out by like a media mangot. Um, uh, one of the brother, one of the three brothers, is smitten is smitten by her. And um, and they uh, they get they get married, but their relationship is like is uh, is put to the test because of because he is kind of very a, a very self doubting jealous kind of individual, and and she wants to go and capture some ineffable quality in her in her um, uh, photography and video efforts, something that leads her to be attracted and kind of repulsed. By the actions of a of a of a, um, a photo- of a young photographer who both goes and um, 
who both has makes like artistic shots and political shots of like of, pe- of struggling people around the world, as well as cheap tabloid fodder, and and the and their relationship ref- uh, reflects in each other of in in and I find a really interesting way because they're. They're both documenting their own lives, hmm. and they're documenting each they're documenting each other, sure. and they both use the tools of photography to go and like, like, um, uh, fit and adjust for their uh, fit and adjust their own lives and their own in their own station, and oh. it also uh, in a Fr- it's a French film that's called Fidelity. Well, probably maybe one of the more shocking things about it is that it is actually about fidelity, very much about like what does it take for someone to have a have a be Monogamous. an honorable relationship with with obvious temptations and uh, mm. and uh, and and a guy who at times uh, at times does not like live up to his part of the relationship uh, to it. I mean, I I find it like a lot more a lot really a lot more nuanced than the than the than the argumentation at the very tail end of possessions relationship. Like there there is ups and downs in this story um, between and and the different points of the romantic triangle all move move around independently with each other and not independently but interconnectedly with each other. And it goes and like has a, a bit of a political context because the, some of this footage has a beauty, but it's about like like war torn areas, and there becomes another kind of romantic interest that actually was a um, uh, uh, an African lady who used to be a part of a brothel. So I really liked how he was how Jalewski's Jalewski had gave a, a lot of nuance on these particular characters in this kind of what's well, a little bit of a tawdry story. And then also goes and like gives a political subtext to it as well, and a social subtext. Sounds like Zalowski. I gotta say, this, this one, one gets here. under. Mm-hmm. I think this one gets mm-hmm. underrated because it doesn't have. I mean, comparatively, it has a lot more of a toned down uh, melodrama feel. It do, it only has a few instances of uh, of strange behavior or hysteria or the things that you might. Right. You know, it, it has some kind of you know coincidences and it has love triangles and it has love at first sight and it has some of the you know the romantic aspects that you associate with uh mm-hmm. with but it it in interesting character for um Sophie Marceau to play she has the most agency maybe of any that's right. heroine as far as she's I don't want to say she's quite as detached as the character that Huppert plays in Verhoeven's L right. but she is a character that can um that can sleep around and not be um, possessed by a man. Like she's someone that is, called, you know, and, and she she she's somebody that lives through a distance. She lives through the other side of a camera. Yes. Like she's somebody that is um, an artist, preoccupied with art, not so much with relationships. Uh, mm-hmm. In a way, she's you know closer to a traditionally male figure in in you know i don't know about in yeah i guess in Zhivovsky. i mean you, i'm trying to think of like the, the last photographer we had was the um fabio testi in the most important thing love and and to mm-hmm. compare the two of them but she, that same kind of love triangle uh is taken in a much different uh tone uh, than something yeah. like that i mean yes. it's, it's it's a it's i you know and it's you say mature like it's a uh you could you could say that in a way that like you know people like the the wild thrills of Zhuaski, but I like the fact that you can look at fidelity as evidence that he could make the kind of film that is more traditionally um 
<laughs> restrained uh, and without losing interest. I don't. I think it's definitely one of the the uh, the ones that needs most to be rediscovered. I I think there's a a really bad transfer of it on Amazon Prime right now. If you can tolerate it, it's available, but it's never had a U.S. home video release. I have a version hmm. from uh, I think from France on DVD. It has English subtitles, but it it's out of print, so you have to kind of keep an eye out for it. As Bill, as Bill was putting it, it's not necessarily that it's that mature, but that it is dealing on on things with depth, and the depth is given a level of attention that 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 you have a you have an increased level of attention by acknowledging that something can be at attention at levels between zero and eleven thousand. Okay, <laughs> you can, and so so the fact that there are gradations to levels of of loyalty and support and dedication to your job, and also the and also that the fact that the main character has to negotiate. It's not just like a negotiation between two poles of like of two other points of a triangle. It's her her own social station, her own workstation, her own dedication to her job that she mm. is balancing. So it is it is kind of a way um, that like Isabel Huppert does an L, but in a lot more emphatic and, and less psychotic manner. And it's also an example where Jalowski, there are moments of the patented Jalowski hysteria, but that those moments are perfectly timed to me for moments of actual nervous of actual nervous breakdowns, um, um, oh, relationships okay. put to the brink, like and 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 um, and even even in even in zany cards, like where one person just starts rowing and then he eventually just dumps the oars and starts screaming. His character in that position is exactly it de- exactly describes his station in life. So, so that's so I I would want to just extend a little credit out for that. But then we we do need to move on to go and talk o- about Cosmos. Wow. It took him 15 years yeah. to make this story about uh, two about two students who go um, take a week off to study, and they visit a very very unique family in a, uh, in a cottage in a cottage by the sea, which is and they're building in they're building an adjoining cottage for the younger couple member of the family, and they engage in various. Um, various mysteries and various like uh, interesting and uh, zany interactions. Some, Very zany. Yes, the, probably the zaniest things involving hanged animals that you will get to witness. Yeah, or bugs crawling on so, food. J- and yes. I think it's an existential farce of sorts that I don't understand completely. I'm not sure if I connected with it as a whole, but I found myself warming up to it the longer it went on, and I felt like. I like hanging out with these really eccentric people. Mm-hmm. I'm very curious to see what becomes of you know all these interactions, and it seems like a, a very playful side of Jalowski. And I just like movies where there's a set group of people hanging out, mm-hmm. and you know, kind of like a almost like Gosford Park or something like that. You know, this doesn't have necessarily as big of a murder mystery, but there's there's a really interesting interactions throughout this entire film that feel really absurd, but I also think it's kind of a interesting swan song for for him and his themes. Mm-hmm. But uh, Bill, what's your impressions on it? I mean, Cosmos is one I, I like a lot. It's weird because I saw it 
I think I saw it the day, like maybe two days after he died. Oh, it was yeah. something close to the date of his death. I feel like he might have died that week. Um, but I saw it when it premiered in New York, and um, so it was it's, it's kind of similar to um, when I saw Chantal Ackerman's No Home movie. I think like maybe the day before or the day she died. It was like something crazy. Like it's it's always strange when a f- yeah, when that happens. Um, but it was. Don't watch any was, Paul yeah, McCartney was, movies, Bill. Jesus. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, it, don't but watch the, yeah, any Bill Cosmos, Paxton movies. Either. Oh, sorry. Yeah. <laughs> well, I was gonna say is that like I didn't I didn't know what to expect going in. I tried to keep myself in the dark on what it was, and it's funny because the films it reminds me most of are um, The Blue Note and uh, My Life Is More Beautiful, uh, My Nights Are More Beautiful Than Your Days, mm-hmm. uh, yeah. like that kind of the, the, like slightly sunnier Zhivovsky films, and I think. I think because Cosmos is now the easiest film to see uh, and might have been seen by more people than even Possession now because it's on Netflix mm-hmm. and it's on Amazon. It's like all these yeah. uh, platforms that people can see it. Um, I got to think it's a pretty strange way to get introduced to his work. I don't know if that's where I would <laughs> direct people to start. Right. Um, I think it's one that I've in- I've seen it, I think, three or four times now. And every time... I see it. I I enjoy it more, and I I get more. I I've I've liked it from the start, but I it's one that I the first time you're seeing any new film from a director you like a lot. I think you're maybe overanalyzing <laughs> every beat of it the first time. Oh yeah, um, for sure. This is this is one where I, there's a lot of language in it that I don't understand every line of it in in terms of the impact of it. And I haven't read the uh uh is it Gombrov Gombrovich? Yeah, Gombrovich. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the uh, the novel. So I don't. Yeah, I I think that. Um, but yeah, it, it is a it is a uh, it is a sweet film to end on. I know that he had said uh, in an interview uh, with Nick Pinkerton for Film Comment that um, it was going to be his last film, uh, and he was you know made some comment about like people think that you know they might be able to get him back into directing more, and he did, he seemed like reticent to do that. Mm-hmm. Um, I didn't think he was going to make another film after Fidelity because it had been so... I'd been following him. When I discovered Jawowski's other films, he had been out of the director's chair for a long time. It didn't feel like he was uh, going to get another chance. And in a way, it feels like um, the same way uh, Alejandro Hodorowski's The Dance of Reality feels mm-hmm. to me as far as like you get one more yeah. of these crazy films from that guy that everyone thought was you know not safe to invest in financially because right. he's a cult director and uh, and an old one yeah. at that um, and but, but you know and, and Jarofsky was writing novels and living life and doing other things during those years it wasn't like he was just sitting there stewing like he was active right. but he was not directing feature films unfortunately novels but, um, that are in polish but right yeah. right the, like like yeah, yeah. The three, three things i'd want to bring up with just uh, uh, on this on this film is that it kind of comes across to me as a may, maybe kind of what um altman did with the prairie home companion this is just my sense i've had ever watching like all of jalowski's films i kind of have feeling of a sense of what if a bunch of Jalowski characters from all sorts of different Jalowski movies were all coming home for their family reunion? That's the kind of sensibility I have. Yeah, yeah. They, they, I had, like that. they behave in odd manners, but some behave in odd and angry manners, and some mm-hmm. odd and a pleasant, some in a festive, some in a performance, you know what I mean? Sure. And, and Jalowski also kind of knows that, hey, I'm playing with the form, because part of the point of the movie, to the extent there is one, is how there is no point. Like, there's a central mystery of some, who someone's doing things, and, and it kind of of does get an answer, mm-hmm. but it shows the answer isn't really what 
was important the whole time, but there's all sorts of little visual signifiers that, oh, this points to that, and this points to that. And there's a super, <laughs> and there's a super funny one where like someone looks at like a square and they go, well, wait, I think that's a rake. Oh, I think it looks like this. I think it's like this. And just right below it is a clear indication of some genitalia right below it, but no one's paying attention. Right. Yeah. <laughs> and, I like that. I like that. And touch. then, and then, um, I, I want. I am a huge admirer of the way it uses both the inside space of the limited set and the outdoor environment, especially mm -hmm. how it uses the water. It has that like timeless quality that the Silver Globe added by being in kind of by the on the seashore environment. And then, like I think when you're too Jim to your point on swan songs, I think. Um, few swan songs would be as as great as the song that the older gentleman I, sings. That's exactly what I was feeling. You know, when he's, I saw that. he has his own signifier, right? Yeah. That dowsing rod out there, and as he's singing, it's the camera moves along for all these, for uh, for these other characters, and it's it's just this kind of like really rousing send off to yeah. like. Yeah, that's to, that's my favorite moment in the entire film, and but at the same time, this is a movie where you have you know someone who experiences unrequited love, so that, you know he kills the cat. So, mm -hmm. yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's it's still Zulowski throwing in a little hint of his own uh, absurdist yeah. uh, flavor and uh, darkness. Yeah, there's a nice Bunelian scene where peas have been strewn upon a kitchen and everyone's all <laughs> trying to collect the peas, except one character who's putting toothpicks in them and using them to to, to eat, you know. Yeah. And there's yeah, it's a little bit, honestly, some of the insect stuff, I think it's a little Bunelian with the, the endless oh, dinner sure. party. Sure, and sure, the, sure. And the lump, some of the bugs have a, like, um... Uh, Unshen uh, Andalu aspect to it. I mean, ultimately, I, I really like that if, if if people, if Shalovsky fans think of it as the Shalovsky family reunion, I think that might be one really cool I like way that to appreciate it. for sure. And speaking of appreciation, though, I, um, we've got to start out wrapping, out, uh, wrapping things up uh, for a what we can all acknowledge is a remarkable director who's 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 even through even though he has a singular kind of vision he points it in so many different ways and uh -huh. depending upon whether it's historical or or about performance or about personal relationships or about society those help like enhance or twist <laughs> uh, um, in, in interesting ways yeah, yeah i mean but i mean for like I don't know if I would necessarily label myself as the casual cinephile, but I will certainly attest that every now and then I come across a director that I find very challenging. And there are certain moments w with his films that I kind of go, hmm, I don't know if I'm going to get this. I don't know if I'm going to really find myself enthralled by this. And I think, uh, you know, former co-host and friend Patrick had a similar vibe with Michael Haneke's Code Unknown. Like, he just, I'm not going to get this, and I can't, it's not access. It's not accessing any part of me to where I'm. I'm having a complete disconnect, and I was certainly worried exploring Zulowski's work. Like, am I going to have those experiences? And honestly, it only happened once. And I imagine that, like, uh, you know, watching a whole bunch of his films in a row can certainly exhaust you. So maybe pace yourself. Well, pace yourself. You know what? It just occurs to me. Zulowski is the cinematic hot sauce. He goes. Sure. Into, he goes. He has value in the flavors that he has, but he also helps enhance the kind of genre pictures and other types of films that yeah. he does. But you don't want to drink the whole bottle. <laughs> yeah, it's like the pizza sauce. You want the pizza sauce to be, uh, you know, a right ratio. Mm -hmm. You know, right, and yeah. and right, and and the proportions and use when the proper use of Jalowski is an important consideration, and that leads actually to a question that I uh, uh, question I want to run to you guys before we wrap things up. Is that what would your guys be 
What would your guys' favorite scene, uh, like a Jalowski scene, be in a film that's not made by Andrzej Jalowski? Bill, I think you should go first because you have a list. Yes. I've yeah. Heard. Well, I, you know, it's it's tough for me because I, I thought about your question and I don't have. There's not one scene from another film that reminds me ex- explicitly of 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 like an Andrzej Jalowski scene, but the the things that came to mind were. Uh, moments in bad timing remind me of possession, as does the brood. Okay. Uh, hard to be a god. Hard to be a god does remind me in places of on the silver globe. Um, the demented, the demented ranting in early Werner Herzog and John Waters films reminds me of uh, the ranting in nice. Jarowski. Oh. Um, uh, some of the moments in David Lynch's films, I'm thinking of when Laura Dern and Nicolas Cage are like dancing and kickboxing in the sunset in Wild at Heart, like that kind of uh, romantic mania, I think reminds me of Zhivovsky a little bit. And actually the film that reminds me most of Zhivovsky had he gone to Hollywood uh, and, you know, uh, not the dialogue, but the energy and the excess of it Showgirls reminds me of Zhivovsky. <laughs> Sweet. <laughs> Sweet. Yes. Show, show. I think Zhivovsky, Zhivovsky would not be <laughs> embarrassed by that uh, yeah. hot tub uh, Yeah, I can see Ver- Verhoeven and Zhivovsky being friends. Sh- Sh- yeah. There's a lot There's a lot in common with them, actually, but that's a whole other conversation. Yeah, sure. Def- but yeah, definitely. I, that's, I that's, mean, the film, that's the film that reminds me, like, if, you know, I mean, you look at, I, I, unfortunately, the Blu-ray of, of Showgirls does not have an alternate language track because I was going to actually try to revisit it in French or any other foreign language to see if, if you took it out of the... Um, you know the American Hollywood style, and you know you just you gave it an element of foreignness. Mm-hmm. If it would play even more like Zhivovsky, because it and it, it, it and the 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 fallout you know for Elizabeth Berkeley is not dissimilar to what happened to Ivana Petri right. for yeah. Shamanka. Yeah, Bill, that is um, that's, that's very an, good. It's an ama- That's an amazing call, Bill. It's like a, like how do you, you can, follow that up? It's it's <laughs> that um I'm mean, it just it just gets me to point out that like honestly you can look at Trader you can look at it's not Trader but you can look at Verhoeven Showgirls. It's a Jalowski movie because yeah. because he is Verhoeven is a well as a person who's well aware of the line between sarcasm and um and sarcasm and vulgarity and. He He's pushing it, and Showgirls is one where he maybe let the throttle loose. Whereas mm-hmm. Jalowski, of course, never cared about that at all. No, he <laughs> did not. My my two cho- my my two choices would be from uh, from a Cassavetes film, Mini and Moscovich. Uh, would be when mm. uh, when Seymour Cassell is trying to get a relationship and and but but the uh, but the lady is reluctant and he's finally just goes why don't you understand that I love you I love you I love you I love you and then he bu- tries to use his head to bust through a wooden door <laughs> oh wow but it totally fits yeah <laughs> it's exactly that how is, his character that is exactly right yeah for no sure. I, that's a great choice and yeah. then and then a gr- and then for me per and then for me personally like a, a runner up would be would be um, Clark Griswold's grant about what he'd want to say to his boss at the end of a National Lampoon's Christmas Vacation. <laughs> wow, <laughs> I would love to see Chevy Chase in a Zulowski film. I I find it's uh, it's he's working trying to similar territory <laughs> in, um, in a very comedic mine way. Mine are very I don't know I, I think kind of predictable, but uh, I certainly think of Blue Valentine to some degree because of the breakup a- aspect of possession and the uh, scene in particular where Gosling is. He just won't leave Michelle Williams alone while she's at work. Right. And it's so uncomfortable and so, like, 
oh, it just it get, it gets to me on such an intense level because it's just you know I've had those moments not necessarily like interrupting girlfriends at work but just like really uncomfortable awkwardness that you know you keep going and you keep going and it's just it, yeah it, it has moments of like possession possession like tendencies when examining relationships in Blue Valentine but uh, Gaspar Noé irreversible oh. like. There are certain moments of such extremes in that film that you want to turn away from, and yet you can't. Yeah, it's yeah. It, uh, the Gaspar Irreversible is one of my top twenty movies, and the absolute number one movie, greatest movie, I will never see again. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. But uh, uh, but uh, I don't. Uh, yeah, I don't expect a Gaspar Noé episode where I revisit <laughs> but your that, Irreversible. But, but that being <laughs> but that being said, like um, just to sum things up, I really hope that uh, I really hope that you guys listening had enjoyed our our exploration onto the films of Jalowski and has given you some ideas on what kinds of. Uh, on, on certain kinds of films to uh, of his to go and check out if um, if that level if that of a level of like intensity creativity and uniqueness is something that you want to explore something that pushes outside your boundaries Shalowski is a as de- a definite like uh, uh, choice to be part of like part of like your upcoming film selection fearless with and a capital F mm, uh, yes there's a lot of things we has a less to uh, a suffix <laughs> to for to be sure um, I want to I want to I say that I cannot thank uh, Jim and and Bill enough for joining me out for this episode like your guys like insights and and set of history and background to Jalaski's has been really and I found really invaluable and well bill in particular but <laughs> like, I think um, like his Bill's episodes of supporting characters are must hears for fans of Jalaski uh, particularly well, Dan yeah Bird. let me yeah, let me say, because if anyone hasn't heard my supporting character show, uh, Daniel Bird, uh, who I think most, I hope most Juhovsky fans know his name, but if not, he's, you know, he's he's the premier historian on, on all things Juhovsky. He's on all the commentaries with Juhovsky. He was helped, uh, you know, with the restorations recently for uh, uh, Third Part of the Night, The Devil and On the Silver Globe, and mm. did, he helped with the cos, uh, Cosmos subtitles. Like, he's, he's he'd done documentaries. He's, he's the Zhuavsky guy. Uh, Sam Deegan has been on my show. She did the, uh, like I said, the Zhuavsky retrospective on Diabolique.com, which I strongly recommend uh, her essays on that. And the five hours of uh, Daughters of Darkness series, uh, I, can, I can't I can be close to you without suffering. Her and Kat Ellinger do fantastic work breaking down every Zhuavsky feature. Uh, Kayla Janice has written about Zhuavsky. Uh, her book, House of Psychotic Women, has a lot of good writing on uh, possession, also Shamanka and the Devil. I concur. Uh, Mike White. Mike White, Projection Booth podcast, do a great episode on, on Possession with it has uh, Frederick Tutin, the, uh, the uh, co-writer of uh, Possession, and, uh, and Daniel Bird. Um, this is probably other people I'm forgetting, but yeah, Zhuwaski comes up a, a bunch of times. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I've, I've made show. a joke of, to Bill about supporting characters that should just change his name to the Zulowski, uh Hard to Be a God <laughs> podcast. And and just to also say that like that that the um, uh, Bill that you're supporting character that you're supporting character site is also just a regular encyclopedic clinic for all sorts of like under underseen and on and um and uh, under under recognized film. Yeah, so definitely film, check film that culture out. at its m- most compelling and interesting and very entertaining and I learn a lot from his guests. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, th- so. Thank you. Thank you. I, I do too. And and the new episode is coming out soon. Maybe by the time this Zhuavsky episode comes out, my new episode with Nick Pinkerton, 
who uh, interviews Zhivovsky on the Arrow Cosmos <laughs> Blu-ray l- booklet, uh, should be out. Oh, awesome, wow. awesome, great, great job as great job as always, Bill. It was, a, it was a, great to have you on to to go and join us to to give give Zhivovsky a spin. Yeah, for sure. Uh, and and Jim, th- uh, thanks thanks in general for giving me the opportunity to go and like um, explore Zhivovsky and all oh, the yeah. other directors. And we have. The Directors Club has a lot of a uh, uh, lot of fun uh, avenues to to come, for both like major and uh, major and underrecognized uh, um, uh, uh, otherworldly directors. For we, sure, our next uh, Directors Club podcast is going to be about um, uh, my, I'm going to be about Michael Mann. Coming yeah, in it's soon. a sequel episode, so um, you'll be concentrating more on the latter part of his career, but. Feel free to talk about you know any sort of correlations to his earlier work or. I think, you know, our first episode, we touched upon pretty much everything up to the insider. And I know the guest, Brian Talrico, hopefully he'll be on, um, is a, a, like such an avid defender of his choice to go digital, which, um, you know, we'll see how everybody else feels about mm-hmm. that. Yeah, that's gonna yeah right. That's that promises to be like a lively discussion because that's kind of a touchstone on man's later on man's later work for sure. Now, but Jim, when pe- where else? Where can people hear you? I'm everywhere. Um, popcornsupper.com is a uh, wonderful sort of rambly conversational uh, podcast that I do with um, another founder of Directors Club, Patrick Rapole, and I. We just shoot the shit for an hour or less and mostly talk about movies. Sometimes talk about pop culture. And uh, it's basically just capturing the dynamic between two friends, you know, talking without any notes, any preparation. It's mostly just off the cuff, and I love it, and I'm having a great time doing it. So check that out, as well as voices, VoicesVisions.net for any sort of reviews and uh, future interviews. Hopefully I'll be doing some sooner than later. Uh, but first and foremost, everybody, the, the, the podcast network that I could not be more proud of, NowPlayingNetwork.net not only hosts this great show, but uh, a wide variety of great shows, including the highly successful and brand new Pure Cinema podcast with Elric Kane and Brian Sauer, both of which I consider to be heroes in the film critic world. All right, so uh, sweet. Like, um, uh, and it's um, right. So it's been yeah. So it's been great to have this as part of the um, part up for your now playing network umbrella. May your um, uh, may the sun never set on your media empire, Jim. <laughs> thanks. <laughs> um, uh, and uh, so so yes. Once again, just uh, uh, thanks to, to you and Bill for um, for the uh, help on the um, and the insights upon like our visit out to Jalaski, and and we hope to go catch you guys next time on the next uh, uh, episode out of Drinkers. Uh, Thanks for listening, guys.